0: But his point to that was, if I couldn't do that, I may as well have stayed in jail. Because mentally, that's where I'd still be. And I think a lot of us can live mentally in a prison still, either of our own making or our perceptions of how other people have treated us, rather than drawing a line through that and saying, well, I'm not responsible for all of that, but I am responsible for what happens over the next 5, 10, 20, whatever yeah. years. And when if you can just get people past that hump to stop looking at that and start focusing on going forward, it changes everything for them. And it's hard work, but it can be done.
1: Where the hell is this bloke? Does my bloody. Ha- sorry, sorry.
2: Where the hell have you been? Oh, I've got jobs on everywhere. Bloke spread from our side at breakfast time. It's a bloody nightmare.
1: What are you, managing a zoo? Yeah, I feel like Joe Exotic. Well, have you got a minute? Yeah, I've got time now. Right, I've got something that might sort your problems out. Perfect. Our new podcast sponsor, Simpro, offers a solution for businesses or zoo owners just like you. It's a simple platform that allows tradies to take back control by managing and tracking inventory, resources, and billing across all their jobs in one single system. Sound like something you could use? Bloody oath. Well, if you're looking for a tool that will help you balance your business's costs, visit Simpro's website, www.simprogroup.com. Hey, y'all targeting you. Old tiger king, you. Wow. Righto, on this week's episode of Trademark's 120 Grit, the podcast for the working class, we had Glenn Azar in the studio. Glenn is a former soldier who spends his post-military life helping as many people as possible achieve success in their lives, whatever that may look like to the individual. He's 17 years in the army, saw him lead troops on active deployments to East Timor and Bougainville and provided some fascinating stories to share. However, this larger-than-life human has also conquered Kokoda 79 times and now runs an adventure company where he takes people out of their comfort zones and puts them to the test both physically and mentally. In this yarn,
2: we cover off a huge range of topics. However, most importantly, we talk about goal setting, mindset, and the importance of taking calculated risks in life to nourish our natural thirst for growth. This may well have been our favourite podcast that we've recorded to date. We go into such detail on such important topics and we hear some incredible yarns. Enjoy.
1: Al, if you yeah. need to.
2: Oh, yeah, and the, um, the tables... A little bit rickety-rockety, so no big – if you're making a sweet point, just sort of fist pump rather than desk bash.
1: <laughs> or if we give you the shit well, – fairly then. not
2: emotional, but <laughs> – <laughs> Fairly, yeah. Calm, flatlined. Yeah, we're sweet.
1: We are sweet. Righto. How's your volume? Yeah, sounds good. You good? Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah? Righto. Phone's on silent? Not in here. Fantastic. Mine either. Hey. I've got to do the social media shit.
0: <laughs> Excuses, It's a cross to bear.
1: <clears throat> it is. It is a cross to bear. And on that note, welcome back to <laughs> Trademuts 120 Grit, the podcast for the working class. Today is our last podcast at East Brisbane. We've done 32 episodes in here, year and Glenn Azar, no, sorry, this is the 32nd episode and we are very, very lucky to have... I mean, he's a success coach, ex-military, he's just been telling us how he was a, as a, as a registered nurse, um, swinging out of choppers in the military, and um, and he's really getting the best out of people. Yeah, we're very lucky to have you in here, Glenn Azar, welcome. Thanks, mate, good to be here. Hey, thanks for coming in.
2: We've uh, pretty much had a podcast chat before the podcast started recording, so this is going to be
1: good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think, well, I think we've ticked everything we ticked everything off. Away. We've got heaps out of it anyway, so. <laughs> a lot of value, a lot of value. Mates. Success coach, tell yeah. me what does success mean? It's a bit wanky, isn't it? Uh, no, I don't think it's wanky because we were having this conversation just before life we were coach. talking about life coaches, life and I coaches. thought life coach is the wrong word, and and even and I'm, I'm pretty sure it says it on your website that you're not a life coach, you're a success coach, and I think that's a lot.
0: Well, look, I've always struggled with that. Um, I just think it's. I'm a mentor, so I mentor people. I teach people about leadership, which obviously I learnt after 17 years in the military. Uh, it's largely about leadership from the time you join. Um, I go in and teach people about mindset. A large part of that is through my own achievements, through what my daughters achieved. Um, you know, so we are we've kind of. Uh, I view it as we are high performers who have done stuff before we talk about it. And in this day and age of social media, there's a lot of people talking about it before they've done it. So there's a lot of theory. So there's a lot of coaches, life coaches. Uh, they go and do a course. And look, I've done the courses. I'm also studying psychology, but just to back up what I do. But a lot of it's lived experience. I've had a, you know, I'm nearly forty-eight years of age. I've got a massive lived experience. I've done some pretty epic stuff in that time. Uh, like I say, seventeen years in the army. Um, so yeah, I guess. Mentor is probably a better word. I maybe need to update the website.
1: No, but I like, I like, um, success coach because it, to me, it's, it's not, it's, it doesn't put you in a box because, I mean, success to the individual is, is completely different from one person to the next. So I'd imagine that means that you're trying to work with the individual to get the best out of them, whatever that looks like to them.
0: Yeah, right. So I'll get, um, I occasionally get people challenge me on that. Oh, what does success even mean? Great question. It means something different to all of us. It doesn't matter what you want to be successful in, the systems and processes are not that different. So you might want to um our gym, we opened a gym a year ago called Project 180 and the whole point behind that was everyone's got a project. Everyone's got something they want to work on. So you might be physically fit and you might have um a great job, but your family life might be suffering. You might have good family life and a good job, but your physical health is suffering. So everyone has a project, something they want to work on. And 180 is about 180 degrees. Take you from where you are to where you want to be, from one end of the Kokoda track to the other, from you know, 15, 20 kilos overweight to in good shape, from having a really poor mindset, you know, anxiety, depression, suffering in that area, to really feeling good about yourself and about life and reconnecting with your partner. All of that stuff, that's what the gym's about, Project 180. So yeah, success is whatever you want it to be. It's not dollars, it's not houses, it's not cars. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. It could just be, I want a better connection with the people around me. I want a better relationship with my kids. I want to feel better in my day-to-day life. It, it can be anything.
1: That's cool. And you touched on something that I really should have introduced you with as well. 79 treks you've done on Kokoda. Yes, that is insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, insane in a cool way. Like, well, look, I, I think, mean, I when, think, when, when I told I my think. uncle
2: this morning, we drive, I was driving to work, I was talking to him, and I said, Oh, we're interviewing about the subway that's done Kokoda 79 times. He goes, Holy, shit, what's wrong with him? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a pretty insane
0: number. Well, it is, and it just, and, and I don't know when it ends. Like, I remember <laughs> when I did five or ten Kokodas, and I thought I was the man. I was still in the army, so I was doing my first few whilst I was in the military. Um, because I've got an aviation medicine background, Kokoda back then was pretty raw. We took, these mates of mine took away all of the top executives from Westpac or NAB. We did a few of the banks and they needed to put safety parameters around it. They reached out to the army looking for aviation qualified medics. That was me, not really needed on Kokoda, but it was unknown back then. And you're dealing with millions of dollars worth of talent, I guess, you know, (laughs) they were worried about losing people. So I go over and do that and I enjoyed it. Um, And I remember when I did 10 and people go, 10, that's amazing. And these days it's not about the track anymore. It's about people. It's about the people we take on the track. It's about the experiences that I watch them go through. It's about keeping the military history alive, which to me as a soldier is really important. And it's about the local boys. I've got such a good relationship with the local porters that – uh, so my head guide's name's Killer, K-I-L-A. It's a name, not an occupation. Because um, people always go, how'd you get that name? It's, well, that's, it's in, a, in PNG, it's a, like Peter. It's a guy's and girl's name, so it's a really common name. But he lives in the village, and he runs all the porters. We helped set his business up after someone else had ripped him off, um, which sadly we as Westerners can do in those countries. Um, and 18 years now, we've been working together. So it's a, it's about people from one end of this spectrum to the other, and I don't know when I'll get sick of doing it because I'd stop doing it if I didn't enjoy it. If, yep. I, if I was got sick, but I'm about to go and do three in a row, so it'll be you know eighty, eighty one, and eighty two. Not that the numbers matter, but you know I'll do nine or ten a year at the moment. What what is it? How far is it? They say ninety six ks. Uh, I think that's a piece of string on a map measurement. I, it, it's hard because GPS still drops out over there. Probably hundred and ten to hundred and twenty really. It's the ups and downs that get you. Yeah. Well, when did you get the point? Because you're
1: obviously not doing it for, um, I mean, yeah, you're still challenging yourself physically, but what I can gather is you, like, when did you get to the point where it stopped sort of being a challenge for you personally and more about helping other people overcome, you know, challenges themselves?
0: I don't feel like it was ever particularly challenging for me. And I say that with all due respect to the track and other people's experiences, but I was a current soldier and I'd been in the army you know, 10 years, say at that stage, when I first started doing it, I've been out 10 years now. So it's about right. And so I was carrying a pack around all day. That's literally what we're trying to do. So it wasn't too bad in that respect. But what I can tell you is that it was probably about 20 trips in when it stopped becoming about me and my ego and me being the man. And it became about people. And I look back now and go, I didn't know anything at 20 trips. I thought I I knew a lot. And even at 30 and 40 trips, I thought I knew a lot. But I've learned to connect so much more with the people on the adventure, having the experience, that it stopped being about me and it stopped being about my ego. And that's actually a pretty cool place that you get to in life.
2: Yeah, is that the mindset of sort of saying there's more to learn rather than I know everything? Is that sort of what you got
0: yeah, to? but also it's the... Things like Kokoda are like the ultimate mi- mindfulness. Mindfulness is a cool word and we all talk about it and you've got the coloring in books and the and exercise is a good form of mindfulness and anything that stops you future pacing or thinking back into the past, so anxiety and depression. But mindfulness on Kokoda, your phone doesn't work. So for seven days, you, you can't tap into your emails, your Instagram, your Facebook. That freaks people out for a day or two and then they kind of settle into it and then they don't want to turn it back on because they know it's going to happen. But they get to detach from the outside world, which means we get to sit in our thoughts, which we don't really get to do that often. You then get to process some things that have been going on inside your head and realize that you've probably got a few answers to things. You just don't give yourself time to figure those things out. Um, Kokoda kind of forces that upon you. And you get to the other end and you have these realizations. And I still have them. I still come home and go, this thing that's been a problem in one of my businesses with a staff member, with a client, with a whatever... I know the answer to that now because I've had time to actually process it. And you don't always get that at home because there's a new email and there's a new phone call and there's a, a new demand placed on you by someone else your partner, your kids, your boss, your someone. You know, that's, that's what it's about ultimately and for me.
1: Do you think people are often like so caught up in, you know, feeling like they need to be, you know, achieving success in their work life and, you know, always, they've always got something else, another distraction, and it's distracting them from actually focusing on themselves as much as they need to be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the problems we have with our mental health, and I'm not someone that dislikes social media. I use it quite handily, and I think if you use well, it can be it can be a good thing. But it can also be a bad thing if you're not feeling good about life and then you go scrolling through your social media uh, whenever you're on your toilet break or that's your escape from a maybe a bad boss or a job that you don't like or a, a relationship issue you're having. What do you do? Go and sit on the toilet and scroll through your social media and look at people who've got – on, on the screen, at least a better life than you have. Mm. You're not going to feel better about yourself as a rule. Um, so nah. I think, you know, there's a, we have to have responsibility around that, right? So I'm really big on personal responsibility. It's not a, it's not Facebook's job or Instagram's job to make us feel good about ourselves, but there are a lot of good people you can follow. And so if I'm following someone that just doesn't make me feel good about myself, I'll get rid of them. I don't think the Kardashians notice that I'm not following them. I don't think they really care. You know what I mean? So you get to pick, but if they light your fire, great. If they don't, why are you following them?
2: I think a big thing is, yeah, just staying out of, like, one thing like is the the comment section and people just get in there and just hook in, you know what I mean? And it's just like a really toxic, shitty situation where no one's really having a clean um, conversation with one another. It's just sort of like, you're wrong, I'm right. Yeah, we're just yelling at each other. They are, yeah. And it's sort of like, because I see stuff all the time and, like, I'll see a post or something and I'm like, oh, like. That's, I disagree with that, but I was like, I was, I'm like, there's no point. Like I just, I just cut myself out. I just, I was like, yeah. I'm not going to comment on any of that sort of don't, shit. Don't invest your, your time and energy into because it. Because no matter what I say, no one's really going to give us stuff and they're no. just going to come back and counter it and say, you're a dickhead. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just a waste yeah. of
0: my time. Just because you've got the forum to have an opinion doesn't mean you have to have an opinion. And there's a 100%. saying that I love, which is that, um, leave small fights for small fighters. Yeah. Like, why do yeah. I need to get involved in that? Like, that's a great saying. I've heard that, That's <laughs> He's awesome. a good saying. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Clip. It's, <laughs> well, it's one of my favourites, you know. Like, I just look at it and I go, I, I'm the same. I look at it and go, well, I could comment. and I do have an opinion. And occasionally I do just for fun because I've, every now and then, you like to roll a grenade in the room and just <laughs> step back. But most part, I look at it and go, I've even half written something and I go, you know what? I've done that. What, what, yeah, I've what, half written the, something. Yeah. And I've
1: just been. But I've even it's not that worth process it. in itself of half writing it is kind of cathartic. Or like it's that's yeah. part of the you know you're like oh no nah, this is stupid and you kind of need to need to have yeah. that sometimes. So like writing
0: that nasty email to your boss that you hopefully don't hit send. Right yeah. In. Oh shit!
1: I've sleep yeah. it. sleep on <laughs> it overnight.
0: But the I think the ability of having the control of just
2: yeah I suppose that that word mind mind like mindfulness again sort of being mindful that you can sort of yeah it's stuck. There's probably not a, a real need in. getting
0: involved in that. So I think at some level, and this is hard when people are, say you're depressed or you're kind of struggling, it's hard to think clearly. Um, You've got to kind of put these things in place when you're thinking good. Um, But I think you need to be able to step back from things and have personal responsibility. And I, I use the word responsibility not by its traditional term, but more the ability to respond for a positive outcome because we're all going to respond to everything that happens. We respond it's your ability to respond for a positive outcome. So me getting into a fight with someone online about something, is it going to have a positive outcome? Probably not. It's going to make me angry. It's probably going to make them angry. Yeah. Half the time you don't even know them. Yeah. You know, like my daughter climbed Mount Everest she, and she did it twice at 19. At 19, yeah. Yeah, That's 19 insane. and 21 years of age, right? So she's quite a high performer. She had her first attempt at 17. Apple doesn't <laughs>
1: fall far from the tree. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, she's a bit of a high performer, <laughs> you think. She, she goes all right. Yeah. <laughs> but she had her first attempt at 17 and her second attempt at 18. There were two natural disasters that stopped her climbing. Now- The interesting thing is we're the same because Joe Rogan once said he never reads the comment section because he knows that there'll be people that love him and there'll be people that just be bombing him. What's the point? Yeah. Um, But she, as a teenager, what's the constant thing we hear is that kids these days are in front of their screens. They won't go out and do things. They're not contributing to society. But every now and then when you did read comments, there'll be people having a go at her who didn't know her. So an example was when she successfully summited, Channel 9 were the first to release it and they said – you know, Alyssa Azar has become the youngest Australian to summit Mount Everest at 19 years of age. And there were a lot of comments that said, oh, that's awesome. There were a lot of comments that said, who cares, which is fine. You can have that opinion. But there was one guy, and I snapshot of this one, who said, oh, damn, I was hoping she would fail. And then under his comment was another guy who said, yeah, me too. And I think, what is wrong with you people that you care what a teenager's doing, that who's out doing something pretty cool, but you hope she failed? What What is wrong in your life? I,
2: yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Odd. And it's sort of what the the effort and time people invest into shit yeah. is profound. Yeah, Like you see it all the time. And that same thing is on, on um, social media. You just see the same people that are always on there just hooking into so one I another. Tend it's to, like-
0: I just click on their profiles and just have a look at, and, and, you know, this is very judgmental, but when people are making those comments, particularly if they're having a go at my daughter, because you're a dad and you want to defend, but you tend not to because we're a bit more advanced than that. And we just look at it and I look at them and, it's generally the who's that of society, not the who's who. Like, what have they achieved? You don't know. Like, and I would suspect not much because if they were happy, one thing I do know, and I've dealt with a lot of successful people in whatever term you want to call successful, and they're not bombing people on social media because they've got some pretty good stuff happening in their life. So yeah. the most successful people I know, I've got no doubt, and I don't know him, but I've got no doubt Richard Branson isn't sitting on Facebook at night <laughs> bombing people because because he's not happy that someone else is well, achieving what's that, what's what's this it's easy someone else yeah. to do it at least but that's um, the um
2: that's the the thought around the um like the outliers type thing so it's like people that are of, of a higher echelon or, or of higher success and who are sort of yeah outliers in society are those people that aren't conforming to coming home and sitting on Netflix and watching that or scrolling through their Instagram feed at smoko time like yeah that success idea is they're always striving to do things better than the than the norm. I suppose it's like their environment is created differently to what everyone else. You know is what it is? The it's the
0: personal standards they set for themselves. Yeah, so when Alyssa yeah. was training to do uh, to climb uh, Everest, she did a lot of work with a lot of SAS soldiers. We figured if she's going to put her life on the line, she should be around people who understand life at the elite level, and they are in the military, the true outliers, and that's the term they use. And to be an outlier, you're one percent. You're not the top ten percent or five percent. You're the one percenters. And the 1% is just do all the stuff that everyone else writes cool quotes about, all the people with lines in their profile pictures and, <laughs> you know, do time to do what real beasts do. These guys are actually doing that stuff. They're
1: and not just was, talking it. They're, yeah, they're, and they're walking was, it, yeah.
0: And that's who I needed to put her around and that's do, who she is.
1: Do you think that, like, in Alyssa's case, though, she's obviously got you as a role model and a parent and you've obviously instilled really, really good morals and values in it, and a hard work ethic, you know, in her, but someone who might be commenting, you know, on on, on a Channel 9 posts Oh gee, I hope she failed. They probably didn't have that, and they probably ha- they they probably lost. It's hard for people. to They're look probably
2: at- thirty five or forty, sitting at home, Dude. into their sixth stubby, and they're going, "Is this fucking 19, You know, and he's Dude. looking around his house, and there's shit everywhere, and he's just had a microwave pizza that's just pinged, and he's got to go. Pull it out and eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to just go, oh, you know, we've pulled def- you down and stuff yeah. your day.
0: Look, we've definitely had those guys. I'll come back to your point. We've definitely had those guys. There was a guy that wrote uh, Oh there's ladders up there now, so even I could I could do that. <laughs> and, and go on. Man. His- <laughs> yeah. Go on, Steve. Well that was his name. I looked <laughs> <laughs> I looked at his profile picture and I thought, could you, Steve? Like, really? <laughs> You're kidding me.
1: He uses, just for context, he uses Steve as his name. I use name. Steve a lot. Thank but to all the Steves out
0: there listening, we love you. There's some good Steves. some great <laughs> Steves. I've got a cousin, Steve. He's all right. But, yeah. <laughs> but to your point, yes, absolutely. So- There's another – I like quotes. There's another quote that says, damage people, damage people, or hurt people, hurt people. It's not normal for a human to go out and just bring other people down. So there's some damage there that's happened to them, and it can happen for generations. And at some point, someone in that line has to draw a stop to it, and it can happen. Um, But if it doesn't, then it just keeps perpetuating hurt people, hurt people, damage people, damage people, people who are happy, healthy, successful – Don't go – you think about when you're at your happiest, the last thing you think about doing is pulling someone else down. Yeah. happy for other people's Mm. success. So I get it. And, 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 you know, they're not – sadly, we put out podcasts and posts and talk and they're probably not getting that message because people only get the messages when they're ready to receive it. 100%.
1: And it makes them uncomfortable, right? And it makes people uncomfortable, especially if you look at, you know –
2: People don't Friends- want to admit there's a problem,
1: but but also friendship circles. Like if someone breaks the mold and someone tries to achieve, you know, something a bit extraordinary that, that the rest of their circle aren't quite. It makes those the rest of them feel uncomfortable. Like yeah. maybe somehow they're inadequate and they're not. You know, what, what am I doing? Maybe I should. And, you know, so yeah, absolutely, you want to you want to bring people back down to earth. So, well, so Alyssa don't. had
0: a decent upbringing as far as you know as you mentioned, but, you know, she's one of four kids. She's the only one that's like this, so I think she was just an outlier anyway. Really? Yeah, because I've got, um, you know, my oldest daughter and youngest daughters are very artistic, um, very soft, emotional girls. They're beautiful girls and they're really people people, whereas Alyssa's um, goal-focused intent, do not get in the way of that goal. You can either go along with it or you can get out of the way, but it's going to happen. She's always been really driven. She did Kokoda as an eight-year-old. She was the youngest person to do it at the You're time. You're kidding me. That's where it started. Eight. Eight years old the that, first that's time. That's where it started for you or for her. That's for Well, I, on my fifth or sixth Kokoda, I took her across as an eight-year-old. <laughs> and she walked the whole track on her own in eight days, which is a normal Kokoda track crossing.
1: Could you imagine the parent, like their comments on you know on that? What are you doing taking an eight-year-old? Well, there's know? no social media <laughs> yeah. it, right? Yeah. Could you so imagine? It
0: was 2005. This is pre-Facebook. That's awesome. But the uh, we were living in Toowoomba at the time, and the editor of the Toowoomba Chronicle wrote- What the- a paper. Yeah. <laughs> 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 He's written in the letters to the editor, I think this is irresponsible. Who else thinks this guy's being an irresponsible father? Now, I was in the army, so I didn't care. I didn't have a business to worry about. I didn't have a profile. I didn't care. To be honest, I still don't. But interestingly, no one wrote in. Maybe there's a lot more effort to writing in than typing on Facebook these days, but no one wrote in, which interested me. So I remember, it's yeah.
1: like I remember when um you know Tony Hawk the skateboarder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when Pro the, video phenomenal of him, video of him came out with his. I think she must have been like a three year old daughter at the time, and he had her between his legs on the skateboard, and he was going up and down half pipes, and everyone's going, oh, what are you, buddy? It's like he's the best skateboarder in the world. Like yeah, he's yeah, not going to be
0: someone to do it. Yeah, he's not going to good chance. He's not going to like you know. This is not Michael Jackson hanging his baby <laughs> over the balcony. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Oh, Michael. Jeez. Yeah. But people also like to make noise about things, you know.
0: Things they don't understand. So another quick story, not to stay on Alyssa's story, but when right before her successful summit she went and the ABC did a story on her climbing, uh, just trekking around Mount Coother in Brisbane. So she's training at Mount Cutha. Jeez, it's no Mount Everest. Well, and that's the point. So this guy wrote on this article, that kid's kidding herself if she thinks she's going to train at Mount Cutha to climb Mount Everest. Six weeks later she was standing on the summit of Mount Everest. So the point to that is, and for people listening, if you're even in a good place or a bad place, you've got to do – what you can with what you've got, like do what what you can right now with what you've got. And it might not be perfect and it's probably not, but you don't have to climb Mount Everest to climb Mount Everest. If that is true, then no one would ever climb it. Yeah. Because how do you do the first one?
1: It makes me think well, of cool runnings. But the when I mean, they're practicing, you know, in their billy guard, not anywhere fa- near ice. No. Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous movie John he said Kennedy. they're like light-
0: lightning. Can they be lightning on ice though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but
2: yeah. we we went to uh, the Master Plumbers Association of Queensland today for a breakfast they were raising money for um our charity.
0: World
1: World Plumbing Day. World
2: Plumbing Day for everyone out there. We're recording this on World Plumbing Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael oh, what's his last name? Crossland. Crossland was the speaker. And he, uh, yeah, it was a good quote and I've heard it before. It was people, um, tell you what you can't do, not what you can.
0: Yeah.
2: Why do you think that that is so prevalent in our society? Like why do people tell people that they can't do shit rather than people picking people up?
0: I, I can't tell you why necessarily people do it, um, why they're not picking people up, but I can tell you why they tell you what you can't do because people would judge you based on their limitations, not yours because they don't know your limitations. They don't know what work ethic you've got. They don't know how hard hard you're willing to work for it, how much you want it. All they can judge you on is through the filter of their life, which is their knowledge, their experiences. We've all had a different lived experience. So, um, you know, if I think that you can't, you say you want to climb Mount Everest, I've never climbed it, and I think there's no way. There's no way you can do that. But why not? If someone else has done it, there's a possibility you can do it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, I know with Alyssa they would say, yeah, why, as a teenager, like, why not wait until you're 30 or 40? Because then the truth is, oh, you know, you've got a bit of money behind you, but the truth is at 30 or 40 you've got kids and you've got a mortgage and you've got all these other responsibilities. And there's more excuses that you can use not That's to go right. and do it, I suppose. And I can tell you now with people my age, there's a plenty of things they can look back on and go, all that stuff I thought I'd do one day, one day disappears from you.
2: That is another thing I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you. It was sort of, you know, you're a success coach. Um, you've lived a pretty extreme life thus
1: far, which we need to touch on. Which so, we get, oh, we will. Well, no, no, exactly.
2: Yeah. But I'm saying, compared to the norm, um, people go through life. From what I've sort of understood in my 26 years of being around here, is that they they sort of just majority of people just seem to coast through, and it's just sort of like they get to the end, and then you
0: know, oh shit, that was it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like how it's actually worse than that. People are trying. Not to, I should put a spoiler alert here. We're all going to die, right? Yeah, I've said, I've said it on this know. podcast numerous times. So people are trying to get to death as safely as possible. Mm. Um, so people don't take risks. I don't want to, anything to possibly go wrong. And one day I'm going to get to 80. I don't know. I'm convinced that at 60, 70, and 80. Um, maybe I'll say 70 and 80 because I'm getting closer to 60. <laughs> days. But maybe you look back and go, why didn't I take all those chances? What was that about? I'm sure the 60 or 70 year old version of me will go, why didn't you ask that girl out? Or mm. well, why didn't I take that job change? Or because at the time it feels like a really big deal to you. And it feels, you remember as a teenager, you know, things happening at school were the biggest thing in the world. And then when you look back now and you go, that, that was nothing. It wasn't that big a deal, you know? So I feel like we're just living through the filter of what we know at this time. And we, we can only do as good as what we know how to do. And when we know better, we can do better. But at some point, yeah, you have to take some risks and get out of your comfort zone at some level if you want to have any sort of achievement. We keep restricting into this comfort zone and all of a sudden you'll find people – I deal with a lot of people in their 40s and 50s who are unhappy and they don't know why. Uh, I don't know what my passion is. That's I think that's a terrible tragedy to not know what your passion is. It doesn't have to be what you do for a job, but – there must be something you're passionate about, but people don't know because it's buried so deep. But, pe- but people that live their lives and, like, you see it all the time,
2: again, social media, it's sort of like, yeah, Friday, thank God Friday's here. And, you know, and then, oh, Monday, tomorrow,
0: like. Literally wishing just, your life
2: away. Why do, why do people stay, s- keep just keep conforming to that shit? Why don't they just go and just say, no, nah, I've had enough of this, I'm going to go do what I actually want to do. Like, why do, like, I know we're talking about that comfort thing, but it's sort of like how do you create that uh, culture of risk-taking? How do you try and get people to take that step and just say, Fuck, you know, tell a boss two weeks, I'm out of here. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, look, it's hard because people have responsibilities, right? So if they're paying off a house to just leave the job's a big deal. Uh, I do a lot of work with people around their values and understanding what their actual values are because most people don't know. And there's a whole workshop around that. And once they understand their values then they can understand what actions do they need to take to live to their values. And there's a whole story behind that. But for most people in, in my experience anyway, they just get to a point where we're committed really young. Um, like I knew everything at 21, luckily. So I was having kids and getting married and doing all that stuff. And then, you know, I've been divorced 10 years now and you realize maybe I didn't know everything. And you know, this all this stuff you couldn't have told me at 21, but I don't know. You just don't think about saving for the future and investing in yourself or you just go on a normal path. Like this is the accepted path that we all do. Now I, joined the army young and I think that made a difference for me and I don't know if that's the same for all soldiers people love or hate the army like any other job but for me um, like I moved out of home before I turned 15 so you know I didn't have a good family life uh, going to the army gave me as a 17 18 year old gave me family gave me connection they kind of like people that are a little bit broken in the military because they they become good, in mode they become level. loyal yeah. to the mm. family and mm. you've got to give your life for each other. And that's a pretty big deal. So I go into that mode. I learn a lot about myself, about leading other people, interacting with other people, putting your life in other people's hands. I've been on active and non-active um, deployments. I've seen my fair share of stuff that I don't think humans necessarily should or need to see, but it's the society we live in. And I come out of that a much better person. I went into the army with a year nine education and left with a university degree. They paid for my university degree. Like, I can't complain about it. Now, was everything roses? Of course not. But I don't really have bad memories from that. And it probably gave me a different understanding of risk because I was in an island called Bougainville which a lot of people laugh at, but it's an island in the North Solomon. Just off Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that. Careful. Sorry,
1: Steve in Logan. We love you. Jeez, I not to edit that part
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> So I went to this island called Bougainville in 1997, 98, and it's in the northern Solomon Islands, and they've been at war with PNG for 25 years, this little country, and it's, there's no infrastructure. There's no electricity. All the buildings have been burnt down. There's no hospitals. So we go in and we set up uh, treatment facilities, and we've got you know surgical teams. We've got the whole bit, and we are the only medical facility on the whole island. I had a guy row a boat five hours with a deflated lung after being stabbed in a knife fight, to get to us and we were able to save his life. And one of my young diggers said, like, how how could he do that? And I said, well, his only other option was to lie down and die. <laughs> now, we don't know how many of those people didn't make it to us but yeah. did lie down and die. I had another guy that got shot three times with an M16 and we had to put two units of my blood into him because we do live blood transfusions in the field because we can't just carry blood around in bags, right? And I was the only one who matched him. So I put two full units. It's a litre of blood. took me weeks to come good on, um, you know, and he lost his spleen and, you know, he was, and we were giving him Panadol post being shot three times because he'd never had pain relief. Oh my a, God. I had a woman walk 39 Ks and she was 40 weeks pregnant. So due to give birth, but she had a broken foot. So she walked 39 Ks on her heel to get to us, to look at her foot and because she was having a baby and we gave her a cesarean. And these people do these things because there are no other options for them. So when you experience stuff like that, I think, and not everyone can have that experience, it makes you come home and go i can take some risks because the worst case scenario isn't that bad in a country like ours the worst case scenario is there's some social security there's some it's not a lot but there's some help there's ways of getting access to things there's in this day and age you've got podcasts and and ways that you can get information you couldn't get even 10 years ago but like this medium didn't exist 10 years ago, particularly not in Australia. Mm. And now it's going through through the roof. Like yeah. You can reach out to people. People can listen in their cars. You know, you've got tradies going to a job and they can be listening to what we're talking about and getting something out of it. 100%. Like, so there's a lot more avenue for that stuff now. And I don't know what the answer is to getting people to take a risk, but everyone's risk level is different. So going to Kokoda might be a huge risk for someone. Mm. Going to New Guinea and trekking through the jungle and it's a new experience. For a 17-year soldier, it's it's, it's work.
2: He- yeah. You know, so wow. it's different. Well, how important do you think it is to take risks? How important is that?
0: Oh, I think it's vital. I think we're a growth animal and I think if we're not growing in some way, then, you know, but the risk has to be calculated at some level. So the risk has to be, like for me, I'm all in. I'm an all in guy. <laughs> I'm all in with my businesses. I'm and, and if I fail at my businesses, there are people that work for me that don't have jobs. Now they'll go and get other jobs, but it's I, that's a huge responsibility. So I'm probably the worst person to ask that question because I'll take risks every day of the week and twice on Sundays. And I'm sure it causes massive anxiety in my team. But so far, touch wood in 10 years of being out of the army, it's worked. So, you know, I think it works if you refuse to give up. If you, I'm incredibly resilient. I think the grit. Yeah, you've got to have that grit and determination. you're always going to hit speed bumps, aren't you? And you've got to just try to navigate your way around those. And I'll tell you this, the more successful you become, sadly, in this society, more people want to see you fall. And I'm arrogant enough to take that on. I like that challenge. <laughs> yeah, but tall I know poppy syndrome, if that four comes, it's going to be big, and so they're going to get plenty of, you know, plenty of uh, things to cheer about. They'll get I their get prime time view. <laughs> I reckon.
1: But do you think everything that we're talking about, everything you know, like those trolls for Alyssa and everyone sort of, you know, looking at other people and you know, people telling you what you can't do, not what you can do. Do you think the underlying issue here is that people are too
0: concerned about everyone else and not enough about themselves? They're concerned about everyone else in one point and yet they're concerned about themselves and the fact that how am I being perceived? And so if I can reflect that off to other people, that probably helps Um, because we do care about it. Everyone that goes, I don't give a shit about what anyone says and what other people think of me, they care. We all care. We're we're, we're a community animal. Um, We might not like it and we might have a better ability to handle it, but we all care. So I think we do care about ourselves, but not quite enough to understand that if we work on ourselves, we can change everything. So I look back to my divorce as an example, and both my ex-wife and I had moved out of home young, we were both fairly damaged in that process. Um, We didn't know each other back then. We both joined the army young. She was in for nine years. Um, She did some pretty amazing things in her career and she's you know, quite an intelligent person, but we were both really negative. We hated the world. The world was a shit place. Everyone was out to get us. And the army is a perfect environment for that mm. because they send angry young people to war. And that's a perfect people to, to go to war. So um, from that point of view, that was harvested. When I went to Bougainville, I bought a book, and this will sound, you know, a bit cliche, but whatever. I bought because the internet didn't exist back then, right? So I bought a book and it was uh, Nelson Mandela's The Long Road to Freedom. And mm. it was big. And I thought- It is a big book. i got six or eight months deployment. i got plenty of time to read that. I couldn't put it down. And the one thing I got out of it that I can still remember to this day, 20 odd years later, is when he got out of jail, the first thing he did in his first two weeks was he went and had breakfast, lunches, and dinners with all of the people that had treated him the worst. Incarcerated jailers. him, yeah. Um, the politicians that held him in there and he's- point to that was, because I don't forgive people, that's not a skill set of mine, um, but his point to that was, if I couldn't do that, I may as well have stayed in jail, because mentally, that's where I'd still be. And I think a lot of us can live mentally in a prison still, either of our own making or our perceptions of how other people have treated us, rather than drawing a line through that and saying, well, I'm not responsible for all of that, but I am responsible for what happens over the next 5, 10, 20, whatever yeah. years. And when if you can just get people past that hump to stop looking at that, Start focusing on going forward; it changes everything for them. And it's hard work, but it can be done. With your relationship,
2: you're saying you're you're both very negative people. Where did you realise that that relationship uh, wasn't um, a growth one in the fact that you weren't improving each other? You're actually bringing each other further down. Where how did that come about?
0: I probably didn't realise that. Maybe until now, to be honest, I didn't realise it at the time. But with that change of reading that book and starting to, I had this realisation that. If you change the way you think or the stuff that you're putting in and again, pre-podcast myself was reading books, but you can actually change your outcomes. And so I started going on this massive personal development journey, just thirstily reading books. I don't really read fiction. I read a lot of, about people, good and bad people, how, how have they done what they've done? And that was my initial and then started you know, getting into podcasts when that sort of came along. But as I was going on this growth journey and trying to improve myself, she hated all of that stuff. And it was every, even now I can, she'll, we, we get on really well, but she'll say something and I'll say, well, the reason that's happening is it's the way that you're thinking about it. And she'll go, here we go. The glass is half full shit again. Is yeah. that because you're challenging her? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. She just still believes that the world's kind of out to get you. And her experience <laughs> is true like, yeah. because if that's yeah. what you expect, that's what you get. Yeah. Um. And, and until you can change what's going And some people never, ever change what's going on up here. And you, me as a mentor, you guys doing all the good work you do, you cannot change someone. They have to be ready for that yeah. We have We have learnt that that's, the hard and way. And it's, it's, it's a that hard, hard way. way. It's yeah. really difficult.
1: But how do you, because most of the time, you know, you have a guy like Michael Crossland this morning who's been through an incredible- His story's
0: completely out his of story. As, a, so as people I People have you. to see the dark before they can see the light. Exactly. Yeah. But how, like,
1: so, and that's the thing. It's all about perspective, right? It's all about- yeah, The bottom. Yeah. I like,
0: sneak it in. So I go in and see, <laughs> uh, I do a lot of work in the trade space. So I do a lot of construction work. And I haven't done that on purpose, but I do it with- um, big plumbing and electrical franchise groups, um, you know, and so on. So, and I do Reese Hammonds. <laughs> <laughs> is, like is this like undercover boss? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But I get <laughs> I get brought into work with tradies because tradies are very alpha, um, and males and females, and so is the military. We're kind of tough people, which means you don't talk about stuff, and you kind of bottle it in, and you crack it off as a joke, and that's how we deal with things. And the military is exactly the same. In fact, the the suicide rates are higher in the tradie space, in the construction game than it is in the military, even though it doesn't get the same limelight that the military gets. Um, so I'm really conscious of that and I do a lot of work in that space and I get brought in to do teamwork and leadership. But I nearly always sneak in some of this personal development stuff about uh, that's got a little bit of emotion and thought behind it. And I get away with it, I think, because... I'm six foot two and 105 kilos, former boxer, soldier. So I'm not coming from, I don't look like your accountant. I'm not coming from, I'm not in a suit. I just turn up in my jeans and t-shirt. I tell the stories and um, then I share some videos that are relevant to me that understand, make people understand that they can change things and their why. And I do these talks at my gym for my members for free. I try and do one a month. I don't always get there, but I always sneak them in. When I was working with the Redcliffe Dolphins last year, which we talked about off air, I snuck some of those into the day or to an 18-hour event I ran for them, and the feedback we got from that, that these young men had never experienced that stuff. And uh, I won't name names, but one of them reached out to me and said, I've been going through a lot of stuff. And in the process of going through all of that stuff, I wanted to give up on football and maybe even give up on other things like life. Like, that's where he felt. And these are kids. These are 22, 23. I've got kids. With the, life, with the whole life of their feet there. It's all- that's right. But, you know, have made a few mistakes. And I had said to in early in the night that, and I don't know these guys at this first time, but, as young men, particularly young men in the roles that you're in, because some have already been into the NRL or are close to going in, uh, you have made mistakes or you will make, make mistakes, but they don't define you. What you do next defines you. Yeah. And one of these young guys said, wow, look, because I'd made some mistakes and that really hit with me that, okay, so I'm not I'm not shit just because I made a shit decision. No, you were 19. Mm. You know, you yeah. were 19 with a lot of money. So you're shit if you keep making shit decisions. Well, that's on you. Do but, you talk? Do you yeah. talk a lot about like ownership and that kind of stuff? Like- yeah, ownership, uh, responsibility for me. It's um, you'd be, you got, you'd be a Jocko standards. Willing fan? Yeah, I love Jocko stuff. <laughs> He's a bit intense. But, He's intense. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I'd love to know what's an example of some of those things you were sneaking in. Like, what's an example?
0: I've got some go-to videos that I watch um, and people that I that I use. Um, there's an American guy called Inky Johnson who's quite religious. I'm not religious at all, but I'm open to any messages from anyone. And he was a, a guy who was grew up in a family of nine kid, nine kids or something in the family. Dad wasn't around much, living in a two-bedroom apartment, and he just practiced football. You know, to, his mum would sit with the car lights on so that he could keep practicing football. And he gets to that point of making it to the NFL, and he's he's in this series of games in college where. They're about to be drafted in, into the NL and he gets told that the scouts are here and he gets injured in that game. He's having a blinder and gets injured and he's damaged a nerve in his shoulder and one arm's dead. Like now it just looks like a stick and his whole career was over. And he just couldn't believe it because that was everything he'd aimed at. And I listened to his story and what he realised is now he has the ability to go and tell other people's stories about how to overcome that stuff. He's having a bigger impact than if he'd made millions of dollars playing football. Um, I've got um, guys I've taken to Kokoda who've lost single or double-leg amputees. So these guys, because I do a lot of work in the PTSD space for the military and for injured veterans, and I've done five uh, single and double-leg amputees from Afghanistan. There are a lot more amputees from Afghanistan than people realise. And these guys are crossing Kokoda, and i tell some of their stories about, because I don't know, like two of the guys that I know who lost both of their legs in Afghan, who were special forces, one of them was a special forces soldier, he's our most elite, elite And overnight, he's lost both legs, part of his shoulder, his nose got blown off in one incident. How do you go from being so elite to being disabled in a snap? That was really interesting to me that how he came out the other side of that. Um, So I tell his story a lot because he's the most positive bloke you'll ever meet. He's constantly out doing stuff. He's playing golf. He tried to make it into the Australian um, Paralympic – I can't remember, was it uh, one of the ski teams anyway or snowboarding, snowboarding teams – um, broke his back in the process of trying to make it into that team. Goes back into an operation. Um, you know, this—he's a star in movies. He's, he's actually got a speaking role uh, in a movie that Mel Gibson was directing and Vince Form was in um, <laughs> this war movie. Like he's just this guy that—that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So I, I,
1: yeah, I feel like you hear a lot of those kinds of stories where someone has had the, has hit rock bottom so bad, and then it's that. That, that coming out of that, that defies them, actually defines them, yeah. and they and they yeah. really reach their potential. Afterwards. Some of us
0: never hit rock bottom. Life is just bad enough that we <laughs> feel kind of crappy, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what what do I try and do by sharing their stories is not to diminish people's pain because their pain is real. Mm. And I'm not saying, would well, compare yourself to this guy who lost both legs. You're doing pretty good. Well, yeah. That doesn't really help any it Doesn't much. mean shit.
2: But because what the I
0: person, it, it's up to them. It's relatives. Relative. Right. So what you've got to tell people is this is an experience this guy's been through and this guy's. Been been through and this is the mindset he used to overcome it but that doesn't make your pain any less real because people's perception is their reality so when you're sitting at home on your own and you're feeling absolutely rock bottom depressed and like no one cares that's how you feel no one can tell you, well, mate, but that guy's got cancer, or that guy's <laughs> lost his. It might as well be as bad as It means as nothing. Kids. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and one thing you know when you have hit rock bottom once or twice is that we all have the ability to keep digging too. So, rock bottom's not always what you think it is, and mm. it's it takes time to come out of those things. And I've been through all of that stuff. Like I'm no, uh, like I'm no guru on this sort of stuff. When yeah. I went through my divorce, and I've spoken about this a little bit in other places, probably not online so much, but there's no doubt that I went through a phase. Um, so we used to live in Toowoomba and there was the floods in Toowoomba in 2011. So it's about a year after my divorce. Um, I ended up in, t- in another relationship that wasn't a healthy one for either of us um, and not her fault or mine. It just wasn't. And we only had two lanes of road between Toowoomba and Brisbane. And I was rock bottom financially. We'd pretty much lost everything um, through a bad business decision The GFC had hit like two years before. That was kind of the real catalyst for the relationship to fully end, I think. Um, and then- I used to drive back and forth to Brisbane. I had a little gym in Toowoomba that was doing okay. I used to drive to Brisbane to pick up some extra cash work. I'd leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I remember distinctly thinking, and this is not to be dramatic, but I could drive in front of a truck coming the other way because we are passing each other like that and no one would know. And people go, wow, what a, what a tragedy. Because I was always doing this stuff trying to lift other people up, even when I was struggling, because I found that that's what helped me. And I just remember thinking that I could do that and no one would know. And But it, yeah. I never quite let that happen. And the reason – just to give people context around this was one. I made a commitment to Alyssa that she wanted to climb Everest. she made that call at 14 years of age. And I said, I'm going to see that through. You worry about the climb. I'll worry about getting the finances together, whatever we need to do from sponsorship point of view. And the other side, which I, we haven't talked about yet is I've got a son who's just turned 16. He's autistic and intellectually impaired. So he's got a mental age of about five or six. He's a phenomenal human, a really good soul, but he needs us for the rest of his life. And so that was enough. You know, and I love all of my kids, don't get me wrong, but those are the two in particular where I went, well, you can't can't take that action. But it was there. There was one stage, I remember this distinctly, where I phoned four people, my sister, who I get on really well with. I'm not close to a lot of my family, but I get on well with her, and three of my mates. Now, there's no no reason for them to know that there was anything on because I'm Mr. Positive even back then, but not one of them answered. And that's not because they were ignoring me. They were just busy. But at that moment, I remember thinking there is literally no one I can turn to. Now, that's not true. And I've told them that story th- since and they've all went, wow, like I wished I'd picked up that phone. How many blokes have taken that ultimate next step because someone didn't pick up the phone? And it's not that person's fault. What I have teach people now in this space when I'm working with veterans and stuff in PTSD is have someone or more than someone, in my case, those four people, what if we'd had an open conversation and what if we had a code word? You know, people have a safe word for certain activities that they carry out, so you know when to stop. Well, not dissimilar. If I sent you a code word that was whatever, let's. I'm looking at your hashtag trademark, what if I just sent mutt to someone or a word that I wouldn't use in a normal conversation and then that lets that person know he needs to talk to me, I need to take this call. Now, if I saw that text message come up from one of my mates right now, we stop this podcast and I take the call because we've made that connection, we've made that agreement with each other. And I've actually found that to be really effective with the soldiers I've worked with with PTSD.
1: That's a great call. We, like, even just – I mean, we've just set up our office charter. We're employing new people now, you know, and we're on our own journey of learning, you know, not only like dealing with our relationship but also bringing other people in and communication styles. And we've got a code word, yeah. the trademark pillow. It's like, right there. Yeah, that's this is the pillow. And if you – if something – Grinds your gears to the point where like you are dead fucking serious and we need to go and, need to to hash it sort out to and figure it right out right now. It's like, where's the trademark pillow? And the, then you just get to outside that that is, and you, figure it you, out. You've got yeah, to go. go. I think
0: it, I think that system works. And if you can have one or two mates you trust to the point where you can send them a text message and it doesn't matter what they're doing, they know that this is serious. Like it's not just me. Like I'll miss the phone call because I'm busy. You know, I'm wearing a meeting. I miss the phone call if you send me that text message after I've missed a phone call, I'll ring you back.
2: How this, a question that I wanted to ask you about, like you're talking about you're Mr. Positive and everything like that. And you were still pretty, you, you were set on, you know, making a decision like that. And that's yeah. a, that's a heavy decision. Well, I don't
0: know if I would have done it, but, but you, it was in your yeah, mind. Yeah, I was right? close okay. Like so times.
2: like there's been, yeah, examples of people that we know that we're really close with and that are really close with Dan and I and what we're doing and know exactly what we stand for and, you know who we're connected to and what we're trying to achieve here, but have still position like got gotten to a position where they've almost taken their life without reaching out to us, and we've yeah. sort of found out months later that something's happened. It
0: breaks your heart, right? Yeah, but I
2: I just don't really, I I because I've never been in that situation, right? I've, right? I can I can say I've never been suicidal. Like I've never been in a position where I've been like this is it. Like I just love life, you know. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's always going to be like that. But what I'm trying to figure out is why do people. When they know, like, they know that we are here, you know, and you knew that there were people there, but why did you still get to that position? I just, like,
0: that's what I want to know. For me personally, I feel like it was ego because I was doing so much in the positive space that you can't be that guy that takes your life, obviously. Yeah. Whereas if it was an accident, my brain was saying, well, then people would uh, turn up at the funeral and go, what a shame. He had so much to offer. So there was almost an ego in that decision. But This is like I was talking to a guy. We're saying it off air as well. But I was talking to
2: a guy on the phone the other day from Melbourne, and we were, you know, we were talking about how there's just such a rife suicide epidemic among tradespeople, right? We all know that. But he was saying it's like it's not going to change until like the CEO of BHP comes out and says the shit is going through, yeah. or the CEO of Rio Tinto.
0: You know what I mean? Like well, that happened for us in the army. I can't remember his name. There is a book by him, uh, but a major general, like one of our second in charges, who was in line to be potentially the chief of the defence force. And he came out and admitted that he'd had PTSD and he'd held onto it for about 10 years and tried to ignore it. And it opened up a lot of floodgates for people to go wow. And the reason he didn't come up with it, because he knew that as soon as he told someone, he would no longer be in the position to be the chief of the defence force. So see, that's the system that's, that's fucked. Huge, and that's what happens in the army. Yeah. Like, guys that's don't want to talk about fucked. mental health or girls because they don't want to lose the opportunity to be promoted. Why that, is it that way? But that's
1: the same. That's the same in a lot of industries. Yeah. That is the same in my brother's a pilot up in Japan. They can't say anything. They get yeah. grounded. My, you know, you got, um, emergency services, even doctors, mate, doctors are the people who we like to, you know, we think we need, we can, you know,
0: confide in and yeah. who can help us. And they're not even allowed to help themselves. Yeah. And, like, what, and what happens to people when they get in this situation, in my experience with soldiers and veterans, is they isolate themselves so they can put on the front here and then when they're over here at home, they just feel like there's no one they can reach out to without having – Like people don't like having to say, mate, I've got a problem. That's that's a really tough conversation. And I don't know how we change that. I think what movements like you guys are doing in these podcasts, and that's a way to slowly change that. But there, there's not going to be an overnight answer and there's still going to be – for whatever reason, someone slips through the cracks. That utopia will never exist. No. But it's sort of like how do we. As humans, we've got to treat people better to start with. Shit, yeah. Yeah, like and we it's... have this, the um, bushfires, everyone comes together, coronavirus, and we're beating each other up for toilet paper. <laughs> Like, what, what's what the fuck is
2: this? wrong with people?
0: I, I, what I, is I, wrong with? So us? I don't want to brag, I, I don't know why it's toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that's I, don't, I don't want to brag, but I scored a, a, a twenty-four pack the other day because we we're getting pretty low. In How our many house. ply? Uh, three ply. Where what? do you live? <laughs> <laughs> there was but, a security guard there.
1: There was a security guard on the toilet
0: paper, and I thought this
1: is this is Australia. But could you imagine what, hap- what would happen if not to make light of coronavirus because mm. it is killing a lot of people? But could you imagine what would happen if? It was a seriously traumatic shit at the fan event, you know, on a a national scale tomorrow. All these people that
0: think they're ready for the zombie apocalypse and they can't handle this. You can imagine – Part of me wants something like that to,
1: to, you
2: know, like – Shit, I don't. I know, but you know what I mean. Like there's always corrections, right? There's corrections in housing markets, corrections in um, global financial markets. It's sort of like when's the next correction for our community's mindset – like, I, when's the next thing that's coming That's everyone's just going to sit back like and go, Holy fuck, we need to change?
0: I do feel like it's coming. I feel like this current generation coming through, so your generation, you know, in their 20s and their teens, are far more, you know, socially aware than our generations were. So generations in their 40s and 50s were far more driven towards the big houses and the successful jobs and the even the fakeness like being in ridiculous debt to be having this stuff The corporate ladder and absolutely and there's far more people in this current generation coming behind us like that are giving to charities when they don't have much themselves that are you know going you know out building houses in places like Cambodia and stuff and, and I know people very close to me that do that stuff. Um, who are giving up their own time and paying for their own holidays to go and make a difference to other people. That's a part of it mm. when we start to get outside of just our little community and start to think. And so I, I feel like podcasts and all this sort of stuff are making that change, but it takes time. Like all of this stuff takes time, but I I personally feel like it's there. And I know that as this generation grows up and takes over running the country and running the world, I think there's going to be a change in there as well because we're having these conversations like at, at 26, 27 you know for you boys and 30 you I wouldn't have had these conversations yet you couldn't have convinced me to have these conversations mm. because it was weak it was a weakness and it was and, and so I was a part of that problem mm. it took for things to happen in my life for me to make a change for me to start to be able I'm having conversations with you guys that are 20 years younger than me that I just wouldn't have had 20 years ago and I think it's pretty cool so I feel like the change <laughs> is coming
1: yeah. yeah. Well that's encouraging to hear, and I suppose. I, I don't think the age difference would mean that we'd be able to tackle Kokoda the way <laughs> yeah. the way that you've done it. So you're also you're also sitting on that over there. Yeah. But I um th- yeah, I, I we think should
0: we should do a trademark Kokoda just to throw that in there. Yeah, oh, yeah, we man. can do that. That is man. out there. That'd now. be sick.
2: <laughs> oh shit. I mean I could,
1: <laughs> I could always edit that video along with the <laughs> Logan comment. And no, I'll no, leave that in
2: there, Steve from Logan who's listening. Oh, God. The um I the other thing too is like people taking responsibility um, for things that go on in their lives. And I think the other thing, touching on what we've just been talking about, as in like, well, we're running out of toilet paper. Oh, it's like a Woolworth's fault for not having enough toilet paper yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's always our-
0: someone's fault. It's ScoMo's fault because we had bushfires. it's oh. his fault because it's raining too much. And now it's his fault because we've got corona. But, but it's but so it wouldn't easy. matter if it was him. You could put any leader in. It's yeah. always going to be it, their fault. It would have you know? been ScoMo who set that
1: toilet paper truck on fire <laughs> on the gateway yeah, too. Yeah, sure. Firebombed it like Molotov <laughs> cocktail on the other side of the gateway.
2: But how, how do we um, try and – teach people and again, change that mindset of sitting back and taking that responsibility because that's a big thing. Like you're talking about personal development stuff. Like I've been really making a point of reading far more, like way more books this year. And and one of those things, uh, one of the books I read was um, to win friends and influence people. And one of the chapters it talks about, you know, taking responsibility and they talk about, you know, son of Sam and stuff like that. These guys that were always saying, um, who were one of the worst murderers in the world, were always saying the reason they were doing it was because, oh, the police or, you know, someone, the family was a bastard and, oh, you know, I was made to do this and, you know what I mean? They never took responsibility for shit that
0: they did. it's easy to blame someone else, right? Because if I blame someone else, it's not my fault. I can't change it. Yeah. And and what people aren't understanding in that process is that by taking responsibility, and I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. Like I talk about this a lot when I do seminars or when I stand on stages and talk to people about everything that happens is your responsibility. You had some responsibility in it. And people go, oh, so if I get cancer, that's my fault. Well, no, I'm not saying that. But but if you get cancer, how do you respond to it? Mm. Because I, I sat for a year on the board uh, for childhood cancer support about 10 years ago and I was too young and I wasn't mentally strong enough to handle that at the time, dealing with children going through that, I just wasn't ready. Um, but I learned a lot from the experience. Um, and, and I had three year olds and 10 year olds who were terminal and the way they responded and acted and upbeat and danced and played. And, uh, it was amazing, you know, and yet people with lesser issues uh, don't respond the same Yeah, you know, Again, you've got to see the dark to see the light sometimes. But when I can teach people that you are responsible By being responsible for everything, you've got the power to change it. So how I do that is I'll look at whatever's happened, whatever the situation is. I'm a massive um, self-analyzer of everything that happens in my life, and I'm not kind to myself. I don't make it look like everyone else's fault. I go, well, what could I do differently in that situation? What conversation could I have done differently? How could I have adjusted it? If there was absolutely zero that I could have done, then I can let it go because I've literally got no control over the outcome. But if there was something I could have done differently, then let's do it differently next time So you, make little adjustments. But
2: did you do you notice that you – when you take ownership, because like that extreme um, responsibility thing Extreme is, ownership. Extreme ownership is part of our office charter. And it's yeah. Like yeah. The joko, so that's a Jocko Willing thing, but yeah. it's actually
0: yeah. a military thing worldwide. Yeah. All the military yeah, ingrains yeah. that in you. You can never come to them and go, well, the reason it went bad was because Dan did this and he shouldn't, yeah. he shouldn't have. They will go in as a team and go, right, this is what we didn't do well as a team. So
2: – but is it because like I've noticed – Implementing that in my own life, it's you actually learn from it. It's liberating. Than, it is literally but liberating. Get, but you take something tangible from it and you actually learn rather than when you dismiss it, yeah. it's just gone. And that, that meant nothing to you. And it's a lot easier to say it was someone else. It was well, caused you can take your
0: hands off it. Not my fault. Yeah,
2: but you actually – but I've noticed I actually feel better. From the experience the first when it was a of,
1: negative. That's the first part of learning from your, from your fucking yeah, right? side. It's yeah. like that is the very first part. If you can't look at, you know, what you've done and what the role that you played and how you could have done it better, well, then
0: you're not going to learn from it and you will we, make mm, the same so mistake here, again. So here's the thing. You can't make the same mistake twice. Mm. The second time, it's an informed decision because you know what the outcome's likely to be. So, if you can make a mistake once, and you can look at that and go, oh, "I probably shouldn't have done that," the next time that happens, that's no longer a mistake. That's an informed decision because mm. you've got a better idea of the outcome. It's a great way of putting it. Is that yeah. is that
1: is that a bit of your is that it's a bit of your IP there?
0: I, I don't know where it's coming. That's from. Clip. You, use it, use it. I've probably stolen it off someone, but that's just how I f- <laughs> yeah, I read yeah, yeah. and listen to so much. But that's just how I feel about it. So then. And I regularly make bad decisions um, still, like we all do, because we're human, right? So we're having this human experience and it's, um, you know, you have an issue with a staff member, you have to let them go, well, why did that happen? What could I have done differently? How did that lead up to this situation? Did I hire the wrong person? Did I not um, train them the right way? Did I my, Was my communication not right for them? What was the problem? And I've only got, like, you guys a small business, as in, you know, I haven't got 70 people. So when you've got a small team, you need to – and I teach communication and I teach leadership. So why am I still having staff problems? No, I don't have them a lot, but they I had one last year. They do happen. And then – so I just sit down. I have no emotion. That's the other thing. Just don't be emotional about it. Just go, okay, what's the – just be analytical. What went wrong? What could I have done better? Don't get all upset and angry and whatever mm. because that doesn't help. And then, and then go, right, well, I'm not going to change the situation. This is what I did not well. This is a bit that that, that person – needs to own, whether they do or not, it's not on me. And going forward, let's not make that mistake again, because again, it's, it becomes an informed decision. But
1: this is everything we're talking about is very, um, you know, self-reflective, I think, you know, everything. And it's, it's, it's yeah. all about you as an individual and what your role is and how you can be better. Cause that's and all you can contr- control. E- exactly. So but, Mark but Boris,
0: yeah. who was, you know, in the Yellow brick road. Yeah, yeah. So Mark Boris um, talks about this leadership concept that um, your best employee or the best person in your team can only operate, no matter how passionate they are about your business, they can only operate at 80% of what you operate at. If they're, if they're amazing, if they're a jet, if they're just the, the ducks nuts, they'll operate at 80% of what you do as the business owner or as the leader. And that's because it's 20% reserved for their own life. They don't have quite the same skin in the game, even if they love your brand. But his point to that is if you're not operating at 100% yourself, so if your health and fitness isn't great, if your mental health isn't great, if you're not taking time off, I've got a thing which I'll talk about in a minute called the four pillars of the solid human foundation. So if you're not taking time off to do whatever and your family life's not great, then if you're operating at 80%, well, they're operating at 80% of your 80%. So And that diminishes down. That's your, that's your best employee. And then your next one's down, a watered down a little bit more and a little bit more. And so all we can control is this person, ourselves, and if we can't get ourselves operating as best we can in all areas, and that doesn't mean working 18-hour days, so that means everything in between, then everyone else, it waters down to them as well. I love that. But I, I, bef- like, I just want to talk about this goal-setting piece that we haven't talked about yet.
1: I think yeah, that's that was big. the what whole purpose
0: of have- me coming on, I think. Yeah. Well, we well, you have, you,
1: did you have a question? <laughs> yeah. Because this do, is great. I do, but it's going to piggyback off. If you're going to go goal-setting, mine's going to piggyback off that. So do you want so me to go in here? Go on, you go. Go on. <laughs> Who's going to go first? So... <laughs>
2: So basically, um, yeah, Dan and I've been chatting over the last couple of weeks about goal setting because it's been a big focus for us here at TradeMut and the TradeMut Tribune. I've written and two articles about he it. He has written two articles about I'll it. Nice, to check him out. And what the big thing since we sort of started TradeMut? It's how can we uh, set better examples ourselves for everyone around us. And, you know, now that we've got staff, it's just probably solidified that. And it's really important that we set really good examples and are leading by that.
0: Having responsibility is a heavy responsibility. Exactly. And that's so, what happens when you've got a team.
2: Yeah. And I mean, one of the pieces that um, we've implemented into our uh, business in our office is goal setting, monthly goal setting. And it's sort of, it's not about work, it's more about personal and um, mental well being and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we've done a couple of months of it now. And like, for instance, the stuff last month, there were a few goals that just didn't even come close to being achieved, right? And that might've been weight loss or, um, setting gym routines or workouts and stuff like that. And it would just never sort of happen. So when people, or let's say for instance, yourself, like when you're setting a goal, like run us through that, like you've got something you want to change. What are the steps that you implement of setting it and then to achieve it?
0: All right. So this is a this is a massive topic, to be honest. And, and goal setting is not writing three or four things at the beginning of the year and hoping that they turn out 12 months later. But And it's a whole topic on its own, but I work off a system, which I'll happily email through to you guys to have a look at. And the system is really simple. Um, I do what I call the big five, and it's not my concept. It's from a, a guy called Robin Sharma, who's really big in the personal development space, most famous for a book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, um, you know, which is really about a lawyer who was all about the money until he has a heart attack and realized that health's kind of important too. Um, so, and he wrote another book called the greatness guide. So he does this thing called the big five. So that's a bit of stolen off him. What's five things. And for me, it's three to five things that I would like to achieve in 2020 for it to be the best year ever. And you can start this anytime. Don't wait till the first of January. If you start the day you listen to this podcast and you do what's five things I could achieve in the next 12 months to make it my best year ever. Cause I feel like we should all be trying to live our best year ever Every year. Point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now the, the mistake people make in this first one is they try and go big on everything. Every one of those goals, if you were to read it, you'd go, wow, it's not about you. It's about what it actually means something to me. So it could be taking time away with the family. It could be learning to play the guitar if that's what you do. I think it should be a mix of business um, and and personal, personal you and then personal the people around you. I think it's got to be a mix of all that stuff. So I write three to five things, then I break that down into 90-day cycles or three-monthly cycles, so the quarters of the year. What would I need to do in the first 90 days, So say January through till the end of March, in order to move me towards those big five? Um, so what that gives me is a chance to re, recalibrate every three months. Am I on track? Am I off track? Am I achieving these smaller goals that are stepping me towards there? I then break that down, and I'm a bit extreme on this, to monthly goals. So what... I put down what I call my uh, non-negotiables. There are three things that are non-negotiable that I must try and get done in this next month that move me towards the 90-day goals. I then go one step further and write a weekly list. So this is not a to-do list. This is a must-do list. What three (laughs) things must I do this week? So this isn't pay your electricity bill and those things have to happen, (laughs) but it's not that. So I'll put three things that I'd absolutely want to achieve this week. And it could be um, listen to a 30 minutes of a podcast at least once this week, read a chapter of a book, or it could be a bigger action. It could, you know, whatever that what needs. To be. if I'm, if one of my big five is to take a holiday, then I, this week could be the week that I make a phone call to a few travel agents and they send me a brochure, whatever. So there's three things that go in there. And then under that, I do my to-do list if I'm still, because I'm a list sort of person. The piece that's mostly I don't need accountability anymore, but in the early stages of learning to do this stuff, because goal setting, success and failure are both self-feeding animals so if you people go, I don't do setting, it doesn't work. Well it does. You just haven't done it effectively yet. Um you haven't learned to do it effectively, but you feel negative if you've constantly failed at something. That's why people hate New Year's resolutions, because the resolutions are the same. They're not specific. They're I'm gonna give up smoking, cut back on the grog, and I'm gonna, you know, lose a couple of kegs, feel a bit better about myself. And none of that happens because then you you're drunk for the next two days, you go back to work or whatever and yeah, it just doesn't happen. There's no plan. So by doing this roadmap idea, it's a plan. That if I get off track, I can recalibrate. I can I can say, well, I'm not achieving the smaller goal. So there's no way I'm going to get that 12 month goal. Um, there's a thing in, in this space that you call the video and audio. So our audio is what we say we will do, what we say we want. And the video is the action we take. And if those two don't marry up, then they'll never marry up. You'll, go, you'll never reach the goal. So one of two things needs to happen. You lower the audio, so you lower the goal that you've stated, or you raise your actions. And when you can do that and be accountable to it. So if you struggle with accountability, the next step I do with all my personal clients and even with people I talk to in groups is get an accountability buddy. And your accountability buddy's not your best mate who <laughs> you have a beer with and he says, uh, why didn't you get those three things done? You go, I was busy. He goes, yeah, mate. Yeah, me too. I get it. Should we have another beer? Yeah. <laughs> it's not that guy. It's, a, it's someone who maybe. You respect or intimidate you a little bit, or who's going to say bullshit. Like, you know, it's obviously not that important to you. And that's the truth, which we spoke about off air is that when people don't achieve things, one thing I can tell you about all humans is we do what we want to do. We will always do what we want to do. So if you're sitting down watching Netflix, which is fine, that's what you want to do. If you're sitting there watching the footy, that's what you want to do. If you're not finding time to do the thing that you say you want to do, you don't really want to do it. It's not a priority. That's right. So then – and that's people don't like that because health and fitness, as an example, as someone that owns a gym, is a classic because everyone thinks they need to be 10 kilos lighter or thinks they want to be. But if you're not taking the action, then you don't really want it. And that's okay. But no one wants to say, well, my health and fitness isn't a priority for me right now. It becomes (laughs) – it's on their list because – we think everyone else thinks that I probably should lose ten kilos. I, I think that's and a you, it's that's a massive huge, thing yeah. because
1: people set goals because they think they should do it, yeah. and not because they actually really want to. Yeah. But you're saying if you want to if if you want to sit down and watch Netflix instead of going to the gym or whatever, that's fine. But fucking own it, yeah. like own it. You <laughs> totally just wa- that, I wanted to do Netflix. That's, that's like fucking massive piece. Own that mate. shit. But like, yeah. What, yeah. so yeah. if
0: I'm if I'm doing accountability for you, and there's two weeks in a row where an action you said you were going to take as your must do hasn't happened, Mm -hmm. well, then now we have to call you on it and go, well, clearly for whatever reason, you don't want to do that. And it could be that it's uncomfortable and it might not be that they don't want it. It might be that change is bloody uncomfortable sometimes and and they just don't want to get uncomfortable. There's there's a study I read once that says the biggest addiction in the world isn't drugs, isn't alcohol, isn't sex, isn't gambling, it's comfort. The Western society Mm -hmm. has become addicted to comfort. Everything is designed to make our lives easier and more comfortable. That's why we have Uber Eats. That's why we – I've watched a bloke – this is the only time I've ever really weighed in on something on Facebook, a bloke (laughs) that I loosely know. Steve. Here we go, Steve. Another Steve. (laughs) And he said – he was having a go at Uber Eats. He said, I've ordered Uber Eats from the restaurant 400 metres up the road and 15 minutes later it's still not here. And everyone's getting on their bomb and Uber Eats like those bastards. And I'm the only one who said – why are you ordering Uber Eats from a place that's four hundred meters away? Why wouldn't you just walk down there? <laughs> that yeah, wasn't the point. of Did, he buy, it. But, did, but he, but did he buy it back? I can't really remember, but I remember just rolling that grenade in there, and because that was that's what I took out of that. Because I have a higher personal standard than that. Does that worry you? That sort of stuff? Because
2: the lo- like life is getting far more comfortable with everything. Like yeah. as no matter what, all the new tech that's coming out, it's like yeah. Uber, they'll come pick you up. You don't need to drive it's, anymore. Everything's um More can you do or, less? Automated cars, <laughs> Woolworths click and collect, like click and uh, bloody drop off, not click and collect because it's going to come to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Do <laughs> you know in Uber? I just, I booked an Uber the other day and I don't know if this is new. And it, you can actually, well, you can tick a thing that says if you want conversation or not. So oh my the, God. you can take your preferences now. So if I don't want you to talk to me, I can say. Bah. Bah. Yeah, <laughs> well, but, but does the, because uh, a big part me. of me worry, I worry yeah. about that. So I've been working on this idea, which I haven't really released, but in our adventure business, because um, we take people to Kokoda, Everest Base Camp, Kilimanjaro, and we go dog sledding up in the Yukon and it's what we call <laughs> rewilding. That sounds good. So we, as a human, we are an animal and we've been citified. So we're living in cities, we're building up. And that's how we all live. And we live in these little modular and we don't really interact with our neighbors. And, you know, it's a totally different world to when I was a kid, certainly. I grew up for a long time out at Oki. you know, 8,000 people out past Toowoomba. And your fences were high enough for a teen, not even a teenage kid, a primary school kid to step over. And you could see across all the yards. And if one kid was out with a cricket bat, everyone came out. It was a different world. Now, I'm not old enough to go, oh, back in my day, but it's, I'm just <laughs> saying it's a different world. So, yes, it does worry me, but this whole idea of this rewilding is to try and get people back out into nature. And it doesn't have to be Kokoda. It can be Mount Cutha on the weekend. It can be take your kids camping instead. I was actually coaching with a guy who's very, very successful in the construction game. Um, So I won't name names, but... He was saying to me that um, he has trouble switching off. He loves his business and he loves work and he works a lot. And I've been trying to teach him to give quality time to his family, not just like he's – I'm coaching him and he's in Aspen skiing and he's – so I'm doing three hours with the young fella and I just want to go and do some work. And I said, mate, just embrace that three hours because that's the bit he's going to remember. He told me he took his 13-year-old daughter out. They went camping all weekend and his phone wouldn't work and he's trying to get his phone to work and he was in Victoria somewhere and for whatever reason. On the way back – he thought that was just a crap weekend. His daughter said to him, Dad, that was the best weekend we've ever had together. And he went, really like that? She said, yeah, because you weren't on your phone the whole time because it wouldn't work. And he said, oh, "I made me feel about that big because he realised what's actually important to her. It wasn't all the stuff that I've given her or have the ability to give her. It's just hanging out with me. So, yes, it's a problem. And, I and again, I I have a positive belief that our new generation is going to solve that problem too. I really do believe – I know we're going tech-heavy – but I still feel like if a thirteen-year-old can say can have the realization that it was really cool not to have that tech for a time, maybe there's something we're going to sort this out in the long run. I hope. There's the the, the thing that freaks me out, and I've said it
2: before, is the fact that you go out to like restaurants and stuff, right? And there's just a family there, and there'll be grandparents and well, mum and forward, dad. We we'll got the phone. The grandparents are sitting there, and they're like looking at. I can't hear anything because it's It's, too noisy. What do you say? But no one's really saying anything because the parents are on their phone and then the kids are on their iPad. Now, like, shit, I'm 26. Like, when I was growing up on, like, sheep and cattle stations with mum and dad, like, there were always people that were working with mum and dad and stuff, so there was always, like, big tables every night for for dinner, all the jackaroos and ringers and stuff there. You couldn't shut me up. I was always wanting to communicate and, and be a part of the conversation, and I learned a lot, obviously. Now I'm doing it for a living on this podcast, but like. can I, talk. I, I, <laughs> no, but I, I, I see now that there's going to be a massive lack of even just basic communication skills yeah. and knowledge of what other generations have been through, passed down.
1: We haven't even, like, this isn't going to come to fruition for, you know, 15, 20 years. Like, what? Mm. Like, the, the, the the technology abuse that kids are suffering at the moment. Like
2: I said, say today, the uh, Matthew said at that keynote speak today, six hundred times on average, people will touch their phone every day. Uh, yeah. Look at it, six hundred times. It's crazy. It makes you sick. Even the other day, I saw my phone screen report came through four and a half hours in a day. Yeah. Like on average last week, I
1: was like, oh my god. Yeah, but I mean, when you you know you're on your phone a lot for. Business and work I know, but and, still, you know. For, uh, and a big part of me felt sick. I was like, Oh my yeah. god! But well, when you see the number there, it's yeah, it's like you know, Four when people, when it's, like, it's like if you're trying to diet and people tell you to write down everything you eat, yeah. it's so that you can actually look back and see the shit. And you're like, Oh, fuck. remember when
0: phones just could text and make phone calls and play too. and play snake. <laughs> that, and was snake. When, <laughs> that was when that was my uncle's got a story about
2: that. And then he was at a pub in Canberra, <laughs> one of the Vikings club, and he just threw his Nokia 3210 or whatever on the table and said they're not going to fucking do anything more than that. He said, you can <laughs> ring anyone in the world and you can text anyone. What more can they do?
1: You know, he's just like, Oh, unbelievable. Um, I really, I want to touch on something because, you know, we've talked a lot about goal setting and, you know, what it takes to achieve this, that or the other. But I feel like from a lot of conversations that we have, and even where places where I've been before is you can, a lot of people, they may not be depressed, They don't have depression, but they might be a bit depressed. They don't have anxiety clinically, but you can still be a bit anxious. But I feel like there's a lot of people just in this middle ground where they're sort of just in a rut and they might not know what they want. They don't know what their goals are. They don't know what they want to achieve for any number of reasons, for things that they've been through in their life. But they're kind of just in this middle ground. of Just going along. just Floating along and, you know, and like we were talking about off air, like – we're doing goal setting, but I'm not interested in just saying, uh, setting a goal because, you know, for this purpose of setting a goal. It's and for be, the sake of other people. And for the sake of other people. It's going to be something that I want to do because I want to yeah. give a shit about it. But a lot of people don't know what they want to do. How do you, how do you kind of help? like motivate or inspire those people. I mean, a piece of it is that some of them don't want to do anything.
0: That's right. And you can't, <laughs> like, mo- well, so you can't motivate people. And we talk about motivational speakers, motivation is an internal thing.
2: You've still got to go listen to them.
0: You've got to want to change. But so what we provide is inspiration. So through stories and different ways of doing things. Mm. And I'll do talks and people come out and go, that was amazing. Best thing I've ever heard. And I'm sure it's not, but right in that moment. Yes. Uh, i got a friend that's been to Tony Robbins events that you spend like five grand for five days with 5,000 other people. Um, she's been to it, you know, two years in a row, and the third year he gives you a free ticket because he's generous and he wants you <laughs> to keep coming back. She said it's life changing, and I said to her, "Yeah, but nothing's actually changed in your life." She said, "Yeah, but when you're there, it's amazing." But there's no action at the other end of it. <laughs> we're walking on fire. We're hugging each other. We're high fiving. We're singing. We're we're doing, you know, eighteen hour days, and you feel amazing. So there's this whole pump. But they live on they the las- adrenaline of it. Then they go home and they go, "That was amazing." For a month they talk about, it, but nothing's actually changed. And I say in talks to people. <laughs> You're going to walk out of here and you're going to feel inspired and do something with it, or you're going to feel inspired right now and do nothing with it. And I can't control that outcome one way or the other, but I encourage you to take one action. Just do something. If you feel a little bit inspired in the next 24 hours, because 48 hours is too late. First five minutes. If you're listening to this podcast and you kind of feel a bit in that blah, you owe it to yourself to do something. And I don't know what that something looks like, but a lot of it comes back to communication. We don't communicate anymore. So, as an example, on when I'm in the country, because I'm away a lot, but every Sunday, 6 a.m., outside Channel 9, we all meet, You know, when I say we, just anyone that wants to come, even people I don't know, and we meet at Mount Coother and we go for a walk and we walk for an hour and a half or two hours. Now, some people are training for Kokoda or Everest Base Camp and some people just come along because they want to come along and you have all these conversations and chit-chat and I think that's what we're missing in society. So if you don't know... If you don't know what – I had a mate years ago, every October roughly, he'd get a bit depressed. He got out of the military. And I said to him, mate, every October you go through this. And he said, well, what it is is I'm not happy with my life. And I said, well, you know why? He said, well, I'm not where I want to be. I said, well, where do you want to be? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, how can you be unhappy with that? Because you've got to know. Um, If you don't know – What are you comparing it against? That's right.
1: That's exactly what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. So
0: this is is the, the norm. It's not as unusual as we might think. And so you can't snap people out of it unless, you know, any pain has to get bad enough where people go, this has to change. Mm. You see people have drastic weight loss or give up smoking because at some point – now people bang on, you should give up smokes, you should give up smokes, you should give up smokes. But one day if it happens, it happens for them because something – because the more you tell them to give it up, the less – I can bang on and say, go and do all this amazing stuff. And there'll be people that – well, maybe not listen to this show, but if I say this stuff and people don't know me, they'll go, "Oh, that's all bullshit." All that stuff's bullshit. Okay, I'm not going to try and convince you, but when you're ready, this stuff will land <laughs> for you. And, yeah. you'll and go, so well, it's that day was, they yeah. go
1: to the hospital and they see that old patient sitting in the wheelchair at the front, smoking the durry through the throat hole, and they're like, "Fuck, yeah, I can't." Yeah, do well, that.
2: <laughs> I, like I had a cousin; he died of um, throat cancer. It must have been like three weeks. Three ago. weeks He's ago, Sixty-one.
0: Yeah, yeah right.
2: And, like I saw him on the the. the Thursday before he died, like three days before he died, we were out in Longreach, um, just through strange circumstances, we we're out there doing a presentation to the council, and um, yeah, Dad's like, oh, I've got to go around and see um, Joey. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll come with you, and um, rocked in there, mate. It was it was like he was like a prisoner of war. I mean, he was yeah. his, his legs were as wide as my wrists. Like it was, I I was just blown away. I was like, this man's sixty one years old, and he's gonna he's gonna die here alone in this hot house in in Longreach. You know what I mean, like. Why has it got to this point?
0: I had an uncle that just passed away two weeks ago from cancer, and he was about 40 kilos, so he'd withered away to nothing. Oh, yeah. So I went around to his place after he'd passed, and, um, you know, my cousins, like his daughters and stuff, were there, and everyone was there, what were they doing? At midday, having a rum and a smoke. Like, the message hasn't got through, Mm. And, and maybe it never does. I don't know. Sadly... You can't – I've learnt the hard way you cannot save people that don't want to be saved. If they don't – you just become an evangelist and people get sick of it. I'm very careful not to coach people online when they don't ask for it because I used to do that. I was that – coaching wank where people would write all this stuff and everyone would get on there with the pity party and tell them, oh, life's really hard. And I'd get on and go, well, you know, actually if you change this and you mm-hmm. thought about something this way, and it, people don't want that message unless they want that message. What, what if
2: there's someone listening right now, because I wrote it down here, like give up smoking, right? There's a lot of people out there that still smoke. I used to smoke. I've quit now for shit. It's been two, over two years, I reckon. i used to chug them down on the Love building them. side. Have it as it got out of, got out of bed, puffer instantaneously, yep. then a cup of coffee. Thanks. But like- And then, never felt better being off. Probably a bowel movement, (laughs) (laughs) plenty of them, or a meat pie. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, I know firsthand how fantastic I feel now. So, what
0: was Was the catalyst for you to give it up?
2: Oh, it was my missus for sure. Yeah, but I I also, I also used to really, I could feel it. I was like, this is killing me. I could feel it. that's the thing
0: you've got to want to give it up, and then that still doesn't make it easy. So nah. then the next stage is, well, what do you replace that habit with? And for some people, it's eating and they end up looting out of control. Weight and they go, well, when I give up smoking, I put on weight. Not really. You've just replaced one habit with another habit. With me, with all of my goal setting and stuff, and the piece I didn't get to before is that I then put actions in place. What what does that actually look like? You know, so if I'm going to give up smoking and I know that there are certain times that I smoke, what am I going to do instead? Um, when you set a goal, whatever the goal is, you have to work out – what has stopped me achieving that goal in the past? So you might've tried to get out smoking in the past and you didn't give up. Well, what stopped me? Because if you can preempt that and go, well, in the past and write it down, like use pen and paper, not in your phone and write down, well, these two or three things have stopped me. All right, well, what's your action to overcome those two or three three things when it comes up next time? Because if it's come up before, it'll come up again. So why haven't you exercised in the past? Well, you know, I just get sore or I get whatever. You know, there's, there's all these excuses you'll have or reasons you haven't done it. And then you just write down, well, what will I do to overcome that next time? So in the army, we call that actions on. So before we go out on any mission, you go through it and add noise in a series of actions on, actions on being ambushed, actions on contact with the enemy, actions on reaching the target area that we needed to reach. What do we do? So that when you get contacted by the enemy, which is fairly inevitable, everyone's not looking around going, shit, what was the training we did <laughs> years ago? We do it every time we go out in a mission. What's our signals? If we lose comms, what do we do then? It's We just caught actions on. So yeah. you need to know what your actions on are. So when, if for giving up smoking, which is a tough one for people, when do I smoke most often? Just take an observation of that. When do I feel like reaching for it? What am I going to do instead? What's something I can do to remind myself? There are, Little things through like neuro linguistic programming or different sort of psychological techniques that people have, where they'll wear like a, a band, like this hair band that I'm wearing, and clearly I don't have hair. I don't even know where that came from, but um, but they'll flick that instead, must, and must that will remind hair them. Off. <laughs> on. Just waiting for it to come back. But. Oh god, I'm an optimist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so whenever I feel like having a smoke, if they'll flick that band, and that reminds them that no, I'm I'm not a smoker. See, yeah. If you identify as a smoker, then you will always want the smoke. If you identify as someone that doesn't smoke anymore.
2: Yeah, that, that was a yeah. thing that I took away from Tonka, a bloke up in Mount Isa that um, helped, he helped fund our charity. Uh, he's um, His big thing was he listened to an audio book that was based around that and was just how how it was worded. So it was like, yeah. oh, I haven't quit smoking. I just don't smoke.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's what people always say. So oh, you yeah, have no. to identify as something else. Yeah, so I you, just don't smoke. Yeah. It's a, it's just a statement. It's not a. And I've like never heard impression. that before. And I was and like that's trying cool. to give yeah, that's up. Cool. Do you want to drink? No, I'm trying to give up. No, I just don't drink. Okay, mm. well that's a different conversation. And you know, geez, there's a lot in this. What, what do you? I just
1: yeah. Well, I mean, we're probably getting pretty. this a meaty. There's been a meaty. this is, <laughs> this is <laughs> meaty <laughs> meaty some yard. serious. There's <laughs> yield in this. So in your 79 trips to Kakoda. I mean, people go, people do this for all sorts of reasons and you've taken, you've probably taken a a few well-known people across, you know, I know you've taken the Nova team. You know, I'd love to hear how Lutzy went with that. But but do you find that people do that sort of stuff uh, when they need a a shake-up in their life and they need to, or it's like more of just a personal challenge, challenge? And when you take them, do they come back and suddenly feel, amplified and actually feel like they can, you know, do a whole lot of other things that they haven't done before?
0: So there's a couple of things in that. Um, people go for a physical challenge, um, the military history, or an emotional challenge. There's something going on emotionally. And so and they'll get all three, whether they realise it or not, when it's done well. And I and to put that into context, when I started doing Kakoda, there were four companies running Kokoda trips. These days there's about 50, maybe more. Some of them companies by name, some of them actual decent businesses. And like everything, there's really good operators and there's really poor and there's people in the middle. But when it's done well, it is life-changing. And I don't say that lightly. I wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't, to be honest. There's easier ways to earn money than sitting out in the jungle for 10 days. But I genuinely love it. But what happens for most people is they could be at a stage in life where they're just looking for something and they don't know what it is. And that's, I'm going to go and do this thing. It's always been on my list. It could be that a mate's going to do it. I've had people that do it. They go, wow, I didn't expect to get that out of it. Um, some people do it just to tick it off the bucket list because people do it and then they get all the other stuff that goes with it. And typically, yes, they come home with a totally different outlook because here's what I'll tell you about us as a humans and as communities. When you're out in the jungles of PNG, they're relatively untouched. They're a little bit Westernized, but not, not badly. There's no electricity. They're living in grass huts that they build themselves. They are largely subsistence farmers. Three generations of families are all sitting around together which is what we're designed to do. we can't do that in this day and age. Mums and dads work and you've got to make ends meet. And so Western society is so expensive that we're constantly on the grind.
2: We're designed to be spat out of yeah. home. Not, so, yeah.
0: so everyone in a jungle environment where a village takes a village to raise a child, they actually they live by that. Everyone's entitled to have a house. So if you don't have a house, the whole village comes together and builds you a house because that's, just, that's natural, right? Why wouldn't you? What you don't see over there is anxiety and depression, Because, you know, anxiety is a future pace, depression's in the past, and we're thinking about all the things, all the shit shit decisions we've made. They're not worried about having a bigger house. They're worried about having enough room for them to be where they need to be. So everyone's about the same. They grow enough food to eat, whatever they need to eat. I'll walk through villages and Westerners, that's who I take over, will go – What's everyone doing? Because I'll just be sitting around the village because it's Tuesday and shouldn't they be doing something? Because that's our society. It's Tuesday. should they Why aren't they, they be in working? the office? Yeah, why, why aren't they working? Because- Janine, <laughs> your <laughs> intro is
1: chock-a-block. I, I guarantee you her name's not Janine. <laughs> it could possibly be.
0: Well, You'd be surprised. I, mean, <laughs> I met a young kid once and uh, they use a lot of Western names and this guy says to me, uh, I said, Oh, what's actually, we had Melman Meninga over there many, many years ago. I'll so smell my so. finger. And uh, we were a little kid there and they said, um, oh, what's his name? And he said, Brett Kamali. <laughs> so they give him Western <laughs> names up. all the time.
2: Naughty!
0: <laughs> How good's that? That's so unreal. That, so, and, and be, to get off topic a little bit, they're, they're when they follow state of origin, they're half New South Wales, yeah. half Queensland. Yeah, yeah. And that was done through the tribal sort of system because they thought mostly they're Queenslanders, right? Because they... That's it's probably who close. they identify. With. But then it was like, well, if we have this state of origin thing, we can't all go for the same team. So if their dad mm-hmm. went New South Wales, so do they. Yeah. We had sure that at school. All the
1: all the PNG boys that came to school were majority New South Welshmen. Yeah.
0: yeah. And they were stuck with them for nine years that they lost. Oh, they, they sat through you know. it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so a lot of people come and do it, you know, just to you know, like they might be in a rut and you need you know I think it, I think it's a really good point. I think it, so many people find themselves in these ruts or these situations but they don't know what their goals are or what they want to achieve. So it's like Fucking do something yeah. that you've never done before. Go and help, like Michael Crossland today. You know he's got um he built he's built an orphanage in Haiti. Yeah, you know what go and I mean? work in a charity. Go, go and go and give back, or go and put give. yourself. Go yeah, and, yeah, just like if you don't know what you want to give yourself, go and give something to other people because that will invigorate you, right? Well, that's a big
2: thing. I know we're talking about Tony Robbins before ripping people off with three day seminars. But
1: I
0: actually one, like the guy. I oh, do. I yeah. really do
2: like him. Yeah, yeah. But I've never been to those seminars and I don't think I would ever go. <laughs> but I
0: would um, – He's one larger thing than life. I'm, oh, I'm not big on the group hug, to be honest. But. I, don't <laughs> I don't mind. Oh, really? Like, That's awkward. Cause five, we we, we do one of those. those afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah, after yeah, we do that. At afterwards. the end of our podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, one of the things he talks about is when he was on like the bones of his ass, he had like next to no money – And, uh, I can't remember if he tipped a waitress, like all the money he had left or something like that, or he gave it to someone who couldn't afford lunch. And it was sort of like, that was him just sort of saying, you know, I'm happy to, I'm just happy to give so I can help you because me right now, I'm so miserable and me doing that is going to make me feel better. And it was sort of like his invigoration to then move on and and, and get better. Was that giving? Like he
0: thinks giving is such a really important part of his ethos and his life. I've done that when I can't really afford it. I remember last year towards the end of the year, it's always a tough time in the adventure game because the business kind of closes down Um, and a friend of mine, Sammy O'Brien, who does some work on channel seven was running a thing with drought angels where they were going out and they wanted to have a beer on the city and they were asking businesses to donate a thousand bucks, which was a lot of money for, you know, for a small business. And they were putting it over the bar in local small, they traveled for two weeks. And so we sponsored one of those. We sponsored another thousand dollars to mates for mates. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but at that time of year it was, you know, things are a bit tight, but I always think, well, we'll work it out. And it was kind of cool to see them going out and getting it. – and it's only small businesses that are giving these donations, which is a bit sad. But um, 1000 bucks, they put it over the bar, so they're spending it in the local community, and then all the people are coming together to have a beer and have a chat, which is, you know, getting conversation started. Mm-hmm. I think it was a great initiative yeah. you know, for them to do rather than go and drop things to people's houses even. But to bring the community together um, was a good idea. So I always like to give. I always give more than I've got. I'm, I'm pretty bad for that. I'm a bit of a sucker for that stuff. But I've always been okay too, even when I think I've given away, well, probably overdid that and then it's something comes back. We, um, we've helped sponsor a program in Toowoomba and we don't even live there anymore, which is um, a friend of mine runs a charity uh, thing called Emerge and her husband used to be a boxer and I used to train him. He was the Australian pro champion at one stage, Mick Shaw. And this charity does, they bought a cafe through social funding. They just did a crowdfund and bought a cafe. They hire kids who are homeless. There are like at least 130 kids in Toowoomba living rough on the streets. That no one's doing anything about. We're walking past these kids. We see them as a problem and she's making a difference. Mm-hmm. And then they're running a program called Box Off the Streets where they're teaching these kids boxing. They have meals there for them, showers. They wash their clothes. And we donated a boxing ring to them. We put gear in there. Um, you know. And, and we, it's not like we were flush with cash when we did it. So I agree. Like The more you do for other people, for whatever reason, it seems to come back to you. But I also learnt this technique years ago about – the biggest fear that most of us have in taking any sort of risk with our career or financially is that what if we lose everything? And I learned this thing, which I've done a couple of times and try and live on $50 for a week. So you're not allowed to just for your food. So no eating either what's in your cupboard right now and don't cheat and pre-stock and you've got $50 (laughs) to spend if you need more food. And when you can teach yourself that I can live on 50 bucks if I really have to, you've got less fear about losing everything because you're resourceful enough. We don't Tony Robbins used this quote, we don't lack resources, we lack resourcefulness. Yeah. And so it's the we lack the ability to go, well, if I was on the bones of my bum, I know I've got the ability to do something about that, to reach out, to live. And I could, at worst case scenario, I could live off 50 bucks, two minute noodles, whatever the case may be. It yeah. takes the fear out of, out of what am I? So mostly we don't give because we're fearful. Well, if I give you that fifty bucks, I haven't got it.
1: Or if I give you that, what are you going to do for me? Yeah. So what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. If and people, you might
0: not even—you might never know what you get out of it. Yeah, exactly right. You might Never know. But who it's, whose it's life not you're for that. But that's different.
1: that's the point though. It's yeah. got to be for the right reasons. Yeah. It's not. You can't. It's not about going and telling everyone, oh, you know, what, what's, what's my return this. on this investment? Well, to that's kind that,
0: of tie back to the start of our conversation, um, when Alyssa did her first Everest climb, there was um, some people were killed they closed the mountain and this guy sent her an email and she was 17 at the time and she didn't get it. I got it, but just sent an email saying there, you know, you're over there just self gratifying and, you know, trying to make yourself look good. And there are kids your age who are actually doing things for charity. And he really had a go at it. So I wrote back to him cause it was a well enough structured email to write back to and said, so, well, actually this is all the stuff we've done for charity and we've done a lot. Like, you know, but why do you have to validate well, this that, is, that shit? this is the point I'll come to. So I write this whole thing, and, and we were nobodies. We didn't have a name, and we'd only just got into business. But I worked at roughly half a million dollars we'd raised through endeavours that we'd done. We'd, we, we brought Kosha Zoo up to Toowoomba once and raised $20,000 that night. And I, I'm not a runner, clearly. I once ran from Townsville to Brisbane while I was still in the army and we raised around $20,000 for SIDS. Holy shit. Um, we raised $80,000 for Kids Helpline. It took me two weeks. And my commanding officer at the time gave me two weeks off after it. And two days later we got deployed to Timor. <laughs> so there was, there was your time off. But I wrote all this back to this guy and he said, oh, wow, that's amazing. And you know, apologies, I didn't know that. You should put that on your website so people know. And I said, but should I – why should I have to put on that on there for you to care about what she's doing with her own money or with sponsored money that was given to her? We're not taking money off a charity – to then go and climb a mountain. This is our money, but that—that's like the the basic principle. People don't give to
2: get gratification for giving. Like, if that's what you're in it for, to give well, and get gratification. Like so we like we yeah. donate five percent of our profits to charity, right? But we're not out saying,
0: "Oh, we've donated
2: this much," you know, tens of thousands of dollars this month to TX. You know it's they, like
0: people do that though. Like, I'm, I 100 percent won't name names, but I know a guy in an industry not dissimilar to mine. He used to write that he'd raised five million dollars for charity, but there's no evidence of that. Mm. And it turned out that he ripped a few people off and was a bit dodgy but so that makes you think well maybe there's no no truth to that but why write it if it's not proven but it's but it's
2: not it's not in our I don't know it's not in our vernacular. it's not in our moral mindset or fabric to be like oh we need to go out and tell people because I don't think it's ever in a conversation we've even had no. I like, but I mm-hmm. guess
0: it is tied. people know that you do stuff for shows tied I knew that about you guys before um, I can't remember. Initially, the first people that connected us was one of the Tannock girls. Yeah, um, that's right, Le- uh, Leah, Leah or Lexi. Leah. Was oh, that yeah, was on Facebook, hey?
1: Is she the one with who's they the father got a memorial
0: in Dakota? So we built that. Yeah, we we did that all together with with his with her
1: dad, and he's an amazing. We're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go over. We're gonna have to do this now. Sounds
2: good. i will
0: do it as a fundraiser for TX. Yeah,
2: now we can do that. Yeah, I um yeah, I'm just. It's, I could sit here for hours. Yeah, I
1: know. This is you this is honestly.
2: I, I, I did warn you great.
0: before we started, can chat. No, yeah, no, no, but it's, oh, it's I'm
2: loving it. Oh, I think the biggest thing I've taken out of stuff. this the biggest thing I've taken out of this this like so far is that, you know, even someone with all the things you've achieved and how you know, your mindset and everything you've learned everything you're uh, educating other people, you still don't have a secret source formula that you get out of bed every day and you're fucking A1. Like,
0: um, Mate, I have days, <laughs> definitely, where I'm not a big sleeper and I put that down to, I put myself under high levels of stress. Well, I seem to do that on purpose. How but, many hours are we talking? Uh, you know, three, four. You, you sleep day, three I'm, hours a night. I'm really bad. Like, it's not oh my so, God. It's not something to brag about. Like, it's something I'm trying to sort out. But that makes me... Wow! I wear this whoop band, and I'm like, I think I got five hours and seven last night. That's good. If I hit five hours, I'm going cruising. Like, so there's, a, there's a lot going on. I've got more than one business. I've got people that rely on me. Um, you know, this coronavirus puts a lot of pressure on a travel industry business. Oh like, yeah, Big obviously, they, it, it could time. it could really put you under the pump, obviously. And there's and I'm not I don't stress about it because I can't change it. But I'm conscious of it. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, it, yeah.
2: controlling the controllables, isn't it?
0: And I'm really good at that, and I'm really good at staying calm under pressure. But we have – I bought T-shirts in for you boys because oh, we actually legend. run by a motto. So the front of all of our shirts, which I'm normally wearing, is a hashtag not dead yet. Here we go. Not dead yet. I like it. And you can normally only get those if you come on an adventure. But not dead yet is about we do what we do because we're not dead yet. So when we first come up with it, there were some people that kind of were, oh not sure about that. It's a bit heavy Alyssa climbing mountains, people die doing that. Me in the veteran space, I've got mates that have died overseas and since coming home and I've dealt in that space. But it's not a disrespect to those people. It's the fact that we need to live our lives while we're alive. We need, we do what we do because we're not dead yet. Because there are people that didn't get the lives that we've got. You go over to Kokoda, there are seventeen and eighteen year old kids there that died trying to defend our country two and a half hours north of Brisbane. They would have loved to have had a full life to get to do. I look at dropping my young fella to school when he was going to school. There's 130 kids that have got disabilities, even worse than his. They would swap anyone's, you know, worst day for their best day. to so just to have one day and one opportunity, and I feel like we owe it to all those people that don't get to do all of this stuff to live our lives fully. And that's what Not Dead Yet was about. And I wear it with pride. And it, funnily enough, it is a conversation starter too. I walk into cafes and people go, Not Dead Yet, I love it. <laughs> and the next question is, What happens when you do die? I say, You can cut it off me.
1: <laughs> uh, that's incredible, mate. We've literally heard that exact same thing
0: twice. Today, today once yeah. From you, yeah. And once
1: right. for Michael Crossan because he said the exact same thing, the things that he's been through, you know, yeah. would give anything to change, you know, to swap his worst day for your what was it? No, your, worst your b- yeah, worst day for your best day. Yeah, 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 I fucked yeah. that up a bit, sorry. <laughs> mate,
2: um, way to bring the vibe down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right no, I I'm blown away with this whole thing. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. And this is bullshit because now we do have to fucking do it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <We> do. <laughs> so, um, mate, Glenn, thanks so much. I know us personally have got a shitload out of this. So I can mate, speak mate. on behalf of Dan and I for that. And, yeah, um, yeah pumped to get this out to our community. Uh, yeah,
0: base because it's, I think it's an amazing yarn. Uh, thanks, have, thanks for having me And you know, I wasn't sure that we hit everything we were going to talk about. But, but you know
2: the beauty of it? We can have another one yeah, down can. the track. <laughs> we can
0: do it again.
1: I just have one more question. How big was the fist, the, the fist pump when Alyssa got to Mount Everest not once but twice? How big? Like honestly.
0: <laughs> it's not what you think it was. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'll say that with no disrespect to anything but, I'd watch this kid and she was still a kid work on this thing for five years. We weren't shocked when she made it. We kind of expected it and she was just got this bulletproof mindset and she's definitely someone that you guys could talk to one day because she's so rock solid around this stuff and she lives and breathes it and she doesn't understand anything. You know, this is what she does. But I was actually in New Guinea on the Kokoda track while she was on Mount Everest because, you know, we needed to make a living too and we needed to, so we couldn't just go over. I was not there for any of her climbs. So on, I know she's on summer day. She's got a sat phone. I've got a sat phone. And she tries to ring me. And we're at a place called Eora Creek. And I turn my phone on and I've missed a call from her. I try and ring her back. Can't get onto her. The next section for me is about four and a half hours up and over this big hill. So no contact. And then I'm running it through my head. And I said, well, knowing Alyssa, she's pretty solid. If she didn't make it, she wouldn't ring me. That would be a text from her going, didn't make it. She's very matter of fact. Um, so I knew that, well, there's a good chance she's made it then. But anyway, we get over... Um, actually one of the Tannic girls was on that trip and their dad. So they all go to bed. It's about nine o'clock at night when the phone call finally comes in, sat phone to sat phone. because I've got it on beside me and it's really dodgy. It's pouring rain. She's at like camp three at seven and a half thousand meters above sea level. I'm in the pouring rain in the middle of the Kokoda track and it took three goes where it kept cutting out where she finally said I made it. And the excitement, I, I literally didn't sleep that night. I normally sleep really well out on Kokoda, different to normal life, but I just finally felt like she deserved that. She earned that, I, the work that she'd put in. I never really had a fear of of her dying, and we knew that was a risk, but I didn't fear it because we talked about all that stuff. But my biggest fear was what if when she – because she had two bad seasons where the mountain got closed from natural disasters. What if she got all the way and then made that summit run and she just wasn't good enough? After five years of believing she was good enough, we would have had to deal with the psychological letdown of that And that was going to be tough. And she made it. She gets home. She's home a week. We do all this media tour because the media went mad. We didn't expect that because we'd been five years on this thing. And the first Saturday we spent at home, she said, I feel like we need to do something. I said, literally a week ago, you climbed Mount Everest.
1: just and put then, your feet up. Just what? chill. And then
0: two years later, she or well, you know a year later, really, she said, "I think I want to go again, and I want to go from the Tibetan side, um, the north side." And she's now the youngest woman in the world ever to have done that, and she stood on the summit at 21 years of age for a second time. Wow! So,
2: this summit just probably a dumb question, but is it, yeah, but is it a good view or is it really?
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I've got a little video somewhere. He
2: doesn't, he I know, it, but yeah. I, I know. you the not, video. <laughs> yeah. Is it any good? Is it like, holy shit, you can see a fair way up no, here? Or I mean,
1: you're above the clouds. You're like, oh, I can't see fucking anything. Yeah. Here's the an interesting <laughs> Water thing in is, that cloud.
0: It's about the process. It's not about the end destination, right? Yeah. So people it's go- It's the journey. Just, <laughs> it, it is. As wank as that sounds, that's yeah. what it is. It's yeah. about- Elissa Alyssa says this all the time. It's who I had to become to stand on the top of Mount Everest was more important than standing because who she was at 15 wasn't good enough. For any of you listening that have got a really big goal, who you are right now isn't good enough to achieve that goal. And that's pretty cool because that means you have to go out and get the skills and become the person who's good enough to achieve that goal. That's growth. That's what we do as an animal. That's what she had to do to go from the 14-year-old that first said, we were coming down off Mount Kilimanjaro and she said, I want to climb Mount Everest. I don't know how we're going to do that, but let's work it out. Um, and we worked out everything that could possibly go wrong. Are you willing to f- face up to that? And it's not death. For a teenage girl, death isn't the worst thing. It's losing your fingers and toes, losing your nose due to frostbite as mm-hmm. a young woman. That would be worse. Had to face it. Can handle all that, then worry about standing on the summit.
1: Is there a record for Kakoda For Kokoda tracks?
0: Oh, there's blokes have done more than me. Is that? There? There's a couple of older blokes, um, you know, ex-Vietnam vets and stuff, who are in their 70s who are still doing six or <gasps> seven a year. So... I'm a long way from it, but I've got a lot of years left in me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, mate. Awesome.
1: Well, uh, yeah, watch this space and we might have to organise a bloody trademark trek. Awesome. You Thanks, Glenn. Get you're North a North
2: those shirts now, boys. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate your time and, uh, yeah, look forward to getting this bad boy out. Thanks so it's much, awesome. Glenn. You're a legend. Thanks, Thanks boys. Mate. If you're a fan of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we'd love to hear from you.
1: Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademark.com.